What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. Uh, we are taping this today on Tuesday, September 19th, 2023, and we have a very fun episode in store for you today. The stars of the Survivor Historians podcast, at least the two of them that like sports, are with me here in studio, not really, not actually physically in studio, but they're on the they're on the show with us today. First, I want to welcome in Mario Lanza. He was just with us a few weeks ago. Let's just say things have uh, shifted quite a bit for his Seattle Mariners since the last time we talked. Mario, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, last time I was here, I think it was what three weeks ago. Yeah, that's I was right. so excited for the Mariners' chances, and I'm slightly less excited about the Mariners' chances now. So let's just leave it at that. <laughs> So Mario is here and also returning to the show. This is the second time we've done this podcast of the three of us. Uh, he is joining us big time Los Angeles Dodgers fan. And of course, the Dodgers played Mario's Mariners over the weekend. So we'll talk. We I know Mario doesn't want to talk about it, but we will talk about it. Jay Fisher, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here. Although I have to tell you, Stars is a very nebulous term. Forget the pun. I don't. I, I... Yeah, you called us stars and you said this is going to be a lot of fun. So you've already lied to your audience twice. <laughs> Jack, I, I, I don't even know what to tell you anymore, but, but great to be here. Yeah, I'm a fake news journalist, I guess. <laughs> if we're don't the best. Tell we can people, get, Jack. Don't tell people. Don't tell people. Just. Just go about your business. We'll you know we'll figure it out. <laughs> Jay, um, playing sick today. Thanks for being here. Hey, you know, nothing else to do but stare at a wall. So let's uh, let's talk about a Dodger sweep, eh, Mario? No, we shall not. Let's let's talk about baseball starting Monday, yesterday. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about the sweep in a second. I want to ask you something, Jay. This is uh, not related to sports, but I know you've been working really hard on the SpongeBob uh, show that you've been a part of. Um, love to know a little bit about what that show is like. I was someone who obviously grew up in the era when SpongeBob was a huge show, and curious how much SpongeBob had you seen before being a part of the show? Uh, the television show. Yeah, um, I have seen a fair bit, but not necessarily because i sought it out per se a uh, spongebob you know spongebob was a show that was slightly past my generation i'm in my right. early 40s and so spongebob was sort of popular when i was um you know late high school early college kind of thing right is when it sort of started and went about its business you know i i was more in like the ren and stimpy era and things like that but you know it's such a cultural phenomenon that I don't think that you can live in society and on the internet without knowing SpongeBob references. And some of them are funny. And so I have gone back and watched quite a few of the episodes, you know, or if it's on TV or something like that or on somewhere and I'll just stop and watch it. So no, I'm not, uh, I wasn't like a big fan or, or can tell you all those sorts of things, but I can tell you what my favorite SpongeBob episode is. And, you know, you know what all the characters are. But the lovely thing about SpongeBob the musical is that there are references and callbacks for the diehards, but it's not like, you know, there have been a lot of people that have come to see the show and they have never seen the show. They're vaguely aware of maybe one or two of the characters and they come to the show and they're like, it was so fun and so nice. I mean, the show is just an absolute, it's two and a half hours of just positivity and fun and color and it's like you know sometimes that's all you need 
That's sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. Mate. What is your favorite SpongeBob episode? Uh, Krusty Krab training video. Ah, classic. Yeah. Yeah. So I was part I was a little bit part of that generation. I think it it's the first time I remember seeing it was probably around 01 or 02. Sure. So I was in second grade. So it'd been on for a few years then. I think it probably started in 98. Uh didn't have cable until then. But obviously a huge huge show of my childhood and really still is for the kids now, which is um which is crazy. And who are you playing in this musical by the way, Jay? Is it Squidward? Uh, I could see you as a Squidward. No, Squidward has a big tap number, and uh, tap is not my forte. <laughs> um, uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm doing various ensemble characters, which is not normally the work that I do, but it's been very fun. But I also have the very fun cameo of being Patchy the Pirate. Ah, nice. That's awesome. So I get to run around and be Patchy, and that's uh, that's been very fun. That's fitting for you, I'd say. <laughs> it's good. Mario, have you seen any SpongeBob? I was going to point out, I do not have a favorite SpongeBob episode because I am a grown-up. <laughs> no, I've never seen SpongeBob in my life. And my kids were were born after that, so I missed that somehow. Nothing from Jay on that comment? No. <laughs> He's typically tapping. Tapping is his thing. No, my, my kids never saw that. My kids grew up with stuff like the Wiggles. So I, I, for some reason, never saw a single episode of SpongeBob. And whenever it came out, I guess, in the 90s, I was... Watching stuff like Pulp Fiction, so like that wasn't really my audience. But yeah, no, I've never seen Bob in my life. Although, what's funny is my in-laws, my my wife's parents, they run a theater up in San Jose, California, a children's theater, kind of like Jay's does, but a little younger. But they just did a SpongeBob production last year, and I remember thinking that's weird. That's a weird show to do, SpongeBob. I didn't even know that was still all that relevant. And now it's funny that Jay's theater is doing it, so it's got to be the exact same show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the same show. I mean, there are there are like junior versions and things like that. Mm-hmm. But no, it's the show was on Broadway uh, a couple years ago, and uh, it was up for a lot of Tony Awards, and uh, it went off. And it, it's I don't know if it's touring right now. I don't think it's touring, and it's sort of one of those things where you don't get rights for shows right when they when they're on Broadway. And usually, if there's massive touring of the show, they usually hold off on the rights. But I think that. Mm because of its nature because it's so fun and because it's something that like you know kids can do and adults can do and and in all sorts of things they just wanted to get the rights out to theaters right away and make that mm. money that way okay so is this your prime audience jack sports and spongebob yeah people like i mean you got to differentiate your content somehow some way so you know you've got the survivor historians on talking about not survivor talking about pop culture from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and baseball. So what could be better? All right. We all win. It's, just, <laughs> it's like the SpongeBob show itself, just a dose of positivity. <laughs> all right. So these guys host a very popular Survivor podcast. It's the only Survivor podcast that I listen to, uh, although there has not been a whole lot of content out recently. Uh, but they've been crushing it. They've been doing it for over 10 years. It's a great product. I Highly recommend it if anyone is interested in the history of Survivor or if you just started wanting to watch Survivor and know about the cultural relevancy of it at the time um, and understand the context of what was going on. And sometimes there's a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes information that you find out about from this podcast. But Jay and Mario are big sports fans. Mario especially as a baseball fan. uh, And Jay likes a wide variety of sports. And 
I think it's perfect timing, as I mentioned, to have these guys on because <laughs> over the weekend we had Jay's Lions playing Mario Seahawks. Mario's a huge, huge Seahawks guy. And then, uh, of course, the Mariners uh, playing the Dodgers. So I want you guys to slug it out. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, the classic rivalry, the Seahawks-Lions that has gone back for epochs. (laughs) Yeah, I I only vaguely follow football. I don't really care that much, but I I am aware of how the Seahawks are doing because I have Twitter. So I, I do get to see all the angry Seahawks fans. But I do know we beat the Lions, and it was considered somewhat of an upset. So I'm vaguely pleased about that one. That's good that you're vaguely pleased. Um, <laughs> I am. I'm sad about it, but not necessarily about the loss. I mean, it, it, the loss. You know, these things happen, right? But it's just the fact that you know a litany of lions have come out the other side injured, mm-hmm. and so it's. You know, football is one of those games. You know, it's so violent that half the battle of the season's not just schemes or coaching or or execution of. Of, of of the play or anything like that. It's really just, can you be healthy? And, you know, the Lions forever, you know, the Lions were a bad team that was poorly coached and they had, they had below average talent, right? And, you know, it didn't matter if they were injured or not because they weren't ever going to go anywhere, right? And then last year, they had enough talent to field a good starting team. And it was kind of like, if they could get some momentum, maybe they could go make the playoffs. And they started off poorly and, you know, some people got hurt and they had some issues and then they, they ended strong. And then they, they loaded up a little bit with depth this year. So now it's like, they're a pretty decent team and they've got some depth, but we're going to see what that depth looks like. And it's kind of scares me a little bit. So we'll see how it goes, but Regardless, I think the GM for the Lions, Brad Brad Holmes, is, is just very, very wonderful, and uh, he's gonna he's just gonna do. I think the Lions are gonna continue to tra- tra- go on an upward trajectory no matter what happens this year. Well, it helps given the state of the division. Uh, I think they came in a lot of people picking the Lions this year to win the NFC North, and you know I got to see the Packers last week. I didn't see them play this week. Uh, I have not seen the Vikings play, but I have seen the Bears play twice now, and it is very ugly. Very ugly. Like, I feel like the Bears are becoming what the Lions were for the past however many years. It ain't great. But Mario gets the great consolation prize. He was pumped about the Mariners, oh, and now the, the football team that he doesn't care about won. The Mariners did not win a game over the weekend. Yeah, I'm happy for the city of Seattle, but the Mariners, my specialty team, did not do so well. In fact, I was just joking before the podcast that Jack was, he wanted to do the podcast over the weekend when the Mariners were playing the Dodgers. And I was saying it's better he recorded today rather than over the weekend, because it would have been awfully hard for me to talk with a shotgun in my mouth. So so much better that you waited a couple days, so I was able to recover from that series. I'm glad someone was able to talk you off the ledge here and you were able to come on and have this amazing recovery emotionally. The Seahawks. The Seahawks pulled me through. When the good (laughs) guys win, the Seahawks, when they defeat the villains like the Lions, then I'm able to muster some strength and regeneration. That's what happened. (laughs) All right. So were you guys uh, two? You guys were. I mean, I imagine, Mario, you were listening on the radio all weekend. You weren't watching the games. I normally, okay, that's interesting. I, I, we've talked about this before in the show. I normally 
prefer baseball on the radio. I'd rather listen to it than watch it. But because I live in Southern California, all the Dodgers games are on TV. I actually had a chance to watch all three, and I did. And it it, it broke my spirits. Oh, I, no. I'd never want to watch the Mariners on TV again. It was terrible. I, I got to see how bad they are at chasing breaking balls off the plate. I, I normally don't see that visually. It was horrifying. It was scarring for you. Yeah, and what's funny is we could have won two of those three games. We were actually in the first two, and we, we were in the Kershaw game, which I don't know how that was possible, but we were. But yeah, I watched all three games, and I regretted it. It was ugly. So I'm right back to radio only now. Jay, were you watching? What would you think? No, I wasn't watching because I was doing SpongeBob. We were just talking about it. Like I was... <laughs> yeah, tell us about SpongeBob, Jay. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. This is a sports podcast. <laughs> but no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't watching any of it. But I was keeping up with it, you know, just on my phone and tracking and stuff like that. And then I, I always watch Dodger highlights after the fact and whatnot. And you know, just from from looking at the highlights, and obviously, I didn't. You know, I wasn't watching or listening to the games as the flow was happening and whatnot but yeah the Dodgers did sweep the series but as Mario said the first two games were awfully close and Mm -hmm. could have gone either way and I came out of it very impressed by the Mariners starting pitching more than anything else yeah we were able to hang with the Dodgers Dodgers are and I'll admit this flat out they're a superior team to Seattle right now I don't know if they still will be in a couple of years but as of now they're an excellent team we're a team that's trying to be excellent and that's kind of the problem but yeah our pitching hung with them I mean the second game went into extra innings I, I forget if the first game went into extra innings but it came down to the end but yeah we hung with them for most of the game and it was very low scoring so that's how Seattle can beat these good teams but yeah it just didn't fall our way either of those two games it was there, I was very, let's just put it this way. I'm very pleased for Jay. I'm happy he was able to sleep well at night knowing the Dodgers, one, clinched their division early, which I know is a nice luxury for the team that goes to the postseason 11 years in a row. It's like, oh, shall we clinch in early September or mid-September this year? So <laughs> I just want to point out how annoying it was that, that those games meant nothing to the Dodgers, and they meant everything to Seattle and they swept us. So never mind. I just Well, we'll, we'll just leave it at that. Because we clinched early, does that mean we get a starting pitcher? <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it this way, Jack. They clinched. The second game of the series, the Dodgers won. They clinched their division. They all went out and partied. They were all hungover. The next day, they threw all their hungover backup players against us because the game didn't matter, and they still beat us 6-2. to two. That was the one that really <laughs> killed me. <sighs> and rightfully so. But gladly, you didn't actually die didn't actually it figuratively killed you but not not yeah, literally not yet i mean what <laughs> i still have two weeks left to go in the season we play texas seven times and if we lose all seven to texas i don't know how i could possibly make it through the rest of the, this year <laughs> so jay i i would need your assessment of the dodgers i mean we last had you on last winter and we were talking about how at the time, they were having a very inactive offseason. They parted ways with some longtime guys. And some of those players have actually found great success this year. Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner, uh, speaking of those two. But it's a different group this year. Uh, promoted some guys internally and then went out and at the trade deadline ended up picking up some guys, bringing back Joe Kelly. Um so I, I'm just really curious to hear your assessment of this team because I know, obviously, I remember at the beginning of the year, 
they got off to a slow start, and you were like, ah, they're fine, don't worry about it. They're, and you were right, of course. And we all believed it, though. Right. I mean, the the fun thing about the Dodgers is they have the horsepower to always be competitive, right? And, you know, I'm just more... I'm, I'm, I'm excited and happy with what the Dodgers have done, but I think I'm more gleefully delighted that the Padres suck. <laughs> because I think that everyone was just all, you know, and, and I was too. You looked at that Padres lineup and, and some of their pitching and you kind of, you know, it's very scary when you look at, you know, the, the potential of like Bogarts, Machado, Soto, you know, and, and all of that sort of stuff. But they haven't been able to put it together as as the Padres do. And, <laughs> you know, that it's been fun that way. And I think the thing that's been very nice this year about the Dodgers is... You know, the Dodgers go out and they usually spend money and get big name free agents to kind of come in. But whenever people do an assessment of the farm team system and basically go, who's got the best minor league system? Who's got the best pipeline coming up? The Dodgers are always like at or near the top of that list always. They always have like, oh, well, they've got these young people coming up. And it's like they eventually either get used as trade pieces for big guys or they come up and the Dodgers eschew them in favor of some free agent to come in and not a whole ton of homegrown talent sort of comes in there. I mean, there was Bellinger and I mean, you know, it was Kershaw and, you know, some people through the years that kind of slipped through in there, but you know, the Dodgers didn't go out and spend a ton of money on a lot of people this off season. And they let some people like Bellinger go and, and Turner go. And, you know, they basically said, we're gonna, we're basically gonna, I, you know, my belief is that the Dodgers are turtling because they want to make a play for Shohei next year. And so they were like, we're going to bring up some of our farm system and, you know, get in some, some, some weird journeyman pieces and we're just going to do it with that. And they have. And I think that that is, you know, a good testament. It's been fun to see like James Outman succeed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just some nice veteran presence like, like Peralta and, and Rojas and, and some people that have come in and, and filled some roles and Rojas, especially because Gavin Lux went down yeah. with an injury. So it's been fun to see that sort of thing. However, my assessment of the Dodgers is I don't know what they're going to do in the postseason, And it mainly hinges on the fact that they have no starting pitcher who has an arm or is not behind bars. So <laughs> it's, it's a little rough, you know, like the really, the, the only, the really, the only longstead person we have is Clayton Kershaw in 2023 like it, it's it's a little scary you know um i like bobby miller i like you know some of the arms they have and i think that the dodgers bullpen is i don't think it's lights out but i think it's quite good that being said i don't know if it's going to hold up for an entire playoff run so the dodgers are going to eventually i mean it's going to be braves and dodgers will get that by dodgers are going to end up playing most likely the Milwaukee Brewers or whoever the third wild card team is. Cause you're going to have Brewers against right now. It would be the Reds. Uh, Cause they own that tiebreaker over the Cubs could be the Cubs, the, uh, the Marlins, Diamondbacks, Phillies. I mean, it's even the giants. It's a number there. You've got six teams vying for three spots. Although Philly has a nice little lead there at the top. But anyway, what do you think when the Dodgers are playing that first postseason series, which is going to be in about 
two and a half weeks, three weeks. Uh, what's that rotation looking like? How would you slot it out? How would I slot out the rotation? I think I would throw Kershaw game one because you have to. Yeah. <laughs> and right. then I think Bobby Miller gets the second slot. And then there's the third slot. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think you throw Lance Lynn. Right. But, yeah. But I think, you know, I mean, the game has changed so much, right? Like Blake Snell is going to win a Cy Young award this year. And the dude pitched like four innings every game. Right. And it's like, you know, we, in a lot of the, the postseasons in the past, it's been very sort of bullpen heavy. Like, you know, the starter just get to five and then, you know, we'll deal with it from there on out. And the Dodgers for multiple seasons now, not just this season, but for multiple seasons have been the Kings of we're going to throw a bullpen game. And it yep. seems like, you know, if, if a normal rotation has five starters, it seems like the Dodgers have three healthy and then they throw two bullpen games. And that's cool. I think that something like that can work in the playoffs, and I think if any team's going to make it work, it's the Dodgers because they have experience with it. But I don't feel super confident about that, to be honest with you. It just seems like, you know, I mean, look at the Mariners. Look at their start. Like, their starting rotation is pretty solid, right? And you look at, like, the Braves. Their starting rotation is pretty solid. And it's like, I don't, I can't say the same about the Dodgers. So it's like, you know, the Dodgers have made the playoffs the last you know, million years and <laughs> they've had varying success, right? They won a world series. They've gone to the world series and lost a couple. They've made a, you know, league championship series. They've done all of these sorts of things. And it's like their rotation has been in various states of good all the way through, you know, like sometimes they've been all been healthy and they just got out hit or sometimes their bullpen wasn't healthy, right? Like there was the, the one a couple years ago, where Scherzer was on their team, right? And Scherzer, like, threw his arm out. He was pitching so dang much. So it just, it, it's going to be, for lack of a better word, it's going to be a crapshoot. We're going to see yeah. how it's going to go because the Dodgers could piece together a rotation. But if you're asking me what my confidence level is in the rotation heading the postseason, it ain't great. But we have two and a half weeks, like you said, to get some people healthy, get some rest going. I don't know if I think rest is necessarily good or bad because we've seen teams that have rested and they've done really well. And we've seen teams that have sat people and rested and then they were rusty when the playoffs kind of went. So it, it just depends on how everyone goes and who they're playing and, you know, really who's hot. I think it's going to be big on the matchup. I mean, I really think that best case scenario if the if one of these teams these wild card teams can upset the brewers in a best of 3 series which isn't it's not highly it's not terribly unlikely i mean we saw it last year the cardinals both um the cardinals and the uh gosh who oh and the mets those two were the home teams in that series and they both lost so you could get some upsets here if you get the dodgers playing cubs reds marlins or Diamondbacks, any of those, or Giants, I have to think you're feeling a lot better about that going into a five-game series than playing the Brewers. Yeah, I mean, you know, Corbin Burns can get hot, you know, some and some things like that. And I mean, the the Brewers have a have a nasty team and a nasty lineup. It's it's tough either way. But the Dodgers did okay against the Brewers this year. I'm I'm less scared, honestly, about the teams in the West because the Dodgers know them really well. Right, right. Like I know the Diamondbacks had a nice run, and they've got some great players. They've got Cattell, and they've got Zach Gallen. But like the Dodgers, last time the Dodgers played the Diamondbacks and Zach Gallen, they hit the crud out of them. So, 
I, I, I'm not as scared about that. It's, it's, you know, teams like the Cubs or the Reds or the Brewers or somebody who's going to come in or, or, or even Miami, if you, you know, if they make it or whatever that are going to come in and like surprise the Dodgers, I think. Yeah, I think the Cubs are going to fall out. I mean, right now they're out. They've lost five straight. They've lost yeah. uh, eight of ten. And why is that? Why is that happening? The reason why it's happening is they really only have two pitchers that they can count on. Which is, I mean, I would take the for a full one sixty two, and even for a playoff series, I would take the Dodgers pitching easily over the Cubs pitching. Yeah. Um, both bullpen and rotation. And then if you take a look at their lineup. I mean, if you if you go down and look at who has been good lately, who what have you been doing for me over the past 30 days, 45 days? They really have only had two really good hitters, and that's Seiya Suzuki and Cody Bellinger. And Bellinger, over the last 30 days, has an OBP under 290. So yeah. Bellinger's cooled off. Suzuki's taken off. Condelario was pretty good for a little bit, but now he's out. And then if you look at the, the guys who are making a lot of money, Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson and now Christopher Morrell, who got brought up late earlier this year, um, he's cooled off. Those are those. Uh, those are three of the Cubs' top five hitters, typically in their lineup. Hap has been atrocious all year. Swanson, the last uh, three and a half months, again OBP under three hundred, batting two twenty. Um, and I know those aren't the only metrics, but. I mean, come on! You need some guys who are going to get on base, and then really, there's just there's just nothing in this lineup. Really, I think they they caught fire for a little bit. They were playing their best ball, and they peaked a month ago. But they also had a lot of good luck and won a lot of very very close games, um, yep. which eventually 162 that catches up with you. Yep, I'm I'm, you know, I mean the the big to me. And I mean, this This is, you know, me saying things, and obviously I might eat my words in a couple of weeks, but there are definitely these uh, wild card kind of teams that can come and upset the Dodgers. Like I said, the Dodgers are not right. firing on all cylinders going into every, the, this postseason, right? But, you know, like you said, I'm not particularly worried about the Cubs. The Brewers are nasty, but I think the Dodgers could beat them. The Reds, Ellie De La Cruz has cooled off a bit. Yeah. And, you know, there's... They don't have much pitching thing. either. Right. The to me, the team in my mind, the team that the Dodgers have to get past is Atlanta. And Right. Well, yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of what it is, right? And I think of the other teams that would scare me somewhat, it would probably be Philly because they can just, you know, I know that they haven't put it together all however the season, but you look at that lineup, you look at their pitching, you know what I mean? It's like they've got Wheeler and Nola and and stuff like that. I don't love their bullpen, but you know they've got they've got some people that can mash, and if they can if they can get hot at the right time, I think that you know just like last year, I think that they could ride that wave. Unless Arizona catches up and knocks Philly down, that'd be um, great. That'd be so great. <laughs> no, that actually for for the Dodgers because the Dodgers are going to play the winner of the three six matchup. So yeah. you guys are on the other side of the bracket. You can let Atlanta and Philly play each other. Um, not, and you wouldn't have to play one, you would only have to play one of those teams and it would be in the CS. Sure. So that's actually, I was going to say having a, the second best record in these playoffs looks like a good thing. Yeah. And I'm, and that, you know, I think the Dodgers sometimes have had that where they've had the best record and it, it hasn't worked out for them, you know, but you know, we've talked about it before. Baseball is such a weird sport in the sense that, you know, 
it's a 162 game season, which determines so much. And then the playoffs, it's kind of a, a, a crapshoot kind of who's hot, yeah. who's cooled off and, and everything like that. You know, I've, we've talked about it. I've, we, I remember talking about it last time we were on the podcast where it's like, yeah, the diamondbacks won the 2001 world series, but can you say they were the best team in 2001? Right. Yeah. And it's something I know you guys have talked about with your survivor uh, podcast about like someone who wins a season doesn't automatically mean they were best player. Same thing in sports. Right. But survivor is more <laughs> nebulous in the sense that, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm not sure we said that. <laughs> it's always tough, right? Because I, I I don't think you can blindly say, well, this person won the season. They were the best player, but it's like, you know, baseball is so quantitative, right? In the sense that Mm -hmm. you're racking, you know, you either win or you lose. Right. And, and you play 162 of these where you either win or you lose. And then you sort of just tally them up at the end. And, you know, whoever has the better records in their respective divisions go to the playoffs. Right. Whereas with survivor, it's a game in which people are voting based on whatever the heck they want to base it on. Mm-hmm. And we, as people who consume the television show, we get, you know, 13, 14 episodes a season at 43 minutes a piece. So we're getting, you know, 13 hours of these people playing 30 plus days on an Island 24 seven. We have no idea what's going out there or what these people are actually thinking. We're just sort of fed a narrative on the screen. And I know that there's more machinations in Major League Baseball and other sports that go on out there, but it's like, you can look at stats, you can look at numbers, you can look at records, you can look at those sorts of things, and it's like, that's it. Whereas with Survivor, there's none of that. It's more just, ah, this person was more liked, they won. Did they play well? Didn't matter. They were there at the end, and people liked them, and they won. So it's, Hmm. it's not... You know, there's been, you know, with the way the game has been structured in later seasons, Jeff Probst and sort of the people have put more of an emphasis on you should reward people who play well slash whatever that means, make big moves, this, that. And, you know, there is a, a, a sort of a movement to that, but it's not they're not saying you need to vote for the person who executed the most big moves or the person who controlled the vote the most. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Whereas in baseball, what's your win loss record? At the right. end of the day, that matters. Yeah. Mario, you are a big sim baseball guy. And mm-hmm. you recently came to us and you told us about a new discovery of a team from the past couple of years that you found very difficult for your team to beat. Why don't you tell us about this team? Yeah, let me put that into context for people. So yeah, I am a big uh, sim slash computer baseball guy going back to like 1984 with micro league baseball where back in the day, this is probably, hopefully you have people old enough in your audience who will relate to what I'm talking about. That yeah, Micro so. League came out and and they had all-time historic great teams on there. And then they put out a disc called the GM Owner's Disc where you could create your own fantasy team. And so my brother and I got really big into this. And I'm like nine years old or 10 years old. And so what we started doing is we'd go through at a, at a copy of the baseball encyclopedia, just go through the baseball encyclopedia, pick out the players who were the greatest of all time, put them on a team, and I'd make this all-star, like this all-time all-star team. And I still do this to this day. It's now 40 years later. I still have a team that I play with. The, the simulator that I use currently is uh, called SBS, Strategic Baseball Simulator. And I've been using this team and adding players to it and taking players off it for years. And I've, I told Jack and Jay this, that what my goal is, I, I run all these games. I play them manually. I don't like sim an entire season. I play games manually one by one. And my goal is always to have 162 and 0 season, or a perfect season. And I've never got that. 
despite the fact that I have like Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, you know, like uh, Tony <laughs> Gwynn, 390 in there. I have my starting pitcher. I got Koufax. I got uh, Walter Johnson. Like I've never gone 162 and 0. And I've got I've, over like 85 to 100 seasons I've run over my lifetime. I came close recently, but there's one modern team that is an absolute. I don't want to say the B word. I was going to say a <laughs> family friendly word on <laughs> an illegitimate child. <laughs> there's, there's this one team I hate playing the 2021 Brewers. Their pitching is unbelievable. Like I can have Walter Johnson or Sandy Koufax going and it doesn't matter. Cause the other guy you have Corbin Burns or I forget the other guys they have on their team. They can shut down even the best offense if they have a good day and they are a nasty team to play. So the 2021, even I think the 2022 Brewers, in there, they have just been a nasty team recently. So I've gained a newfound appreciation slash hatred for this <laughs> team because they're really good. And I don't know if they ever really got the national attention for how good that pitching staff was. No, they really haven't. I mean, Burns won a Cy Young, but aside from that, I mean, Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta are those other two pitchers that you mentioned. I mm-hmm. think you were the one who pointed this out in 2021. All three of those pitchers had a whip below one. Yeah. And that's this for people who don't know in simulation baseball, whip is really all that matters. And you can make the argument like OPS against matters, but like wins and losses, ERA, none of those matter in a computer simulation. They're just arbitrary. Like it's like RBIs. They don't matter. They're just sim- they're just situational. But whip is what really you can tell the really dominant pitching staffs. And yeah, the 2021 Brewers, and I believe there was one other team that year, even the Braves or the Dodgers. Uh, 2021 Dodgers or 2022 Dodgers. Yeah, it's the 2022 Dodgers. They're like maybe the only teams I've ever seen in baseball history that have three starters under with a whip under one. And if you go back in history, and again, this is all I do is I go through stats and I try to add up these great players on the great teams. Like Koufax and Drysdale back in the 60s for the Dodgers, they didn't both have whips under one. You look at the early 70s Orioles when they had the four 20-game winners, they didn't all have whips under one. You go to like the the 95 Braves, they didn't all have whips under one. So if you're just looking at whips, which I hate to go too money ball here, but like <laughs> you have 27 outs in a game, that's the currency. You cannot give up an out. You have 27 outs to play with and that's it. Whip really, what that factors in is how many, I mean, how many free outs you're giving away per game to the other team. And so that's the stat that really stands out to me. And yeah, that. That team is unbelievable with their three starters under one. That's that's all I'm saying. They're they they're they're killers. Jay, do you have any thoughts on whip? I mean, whip is a good stat. And and honestly, whip was one of the first I think that and OPS were kind of the first stats when when not really when I when I read Moneyball, but mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when when we sort of began to accept more sabermetric stuff like with Bill James and, and things yep. like that, I think that you know, there are some stats that, that come easier than others. And, you know, there are so many stats in baseball and there are so many that I don't even know that I've seen things and I don't know what's going on. But like, I think the first couple that really makes sense is, is OPS and whip. I think we're like the two that sort of made sense. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't have an opinion one way or another, but in Mario's simulation, I mean, the thing that, the thing that matters again is those stats because your ERA or your you're your simulating a season. So previous ERAs or anything like that aren't going to matter. Yeah. It's just a matter of what you're doing with each at bat. And I love that the Dodgers and current Dodger or very recent Dodger teams have these 
murderous lineups because simulations don't account for real life, which is they're all going to get hurt. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And Jay and I have talked about this off the air before that stats are not the same as real life. And that's true. Like, I'm not saying they are, but just from a pure number, like, again, I, I will go back into my history that what I wanted to do coming out of college is I wanted to work for the Oakland A's in their stat department because I, I, I went to college right next to the to Oakland Coliseum. And so even back when I was 20, 22, 23 years old, all I cared about was baseball numbers, how you can extrapolate them to make a team better in real life. So I was into this way, way before most people were. Like I'm talking like 14, 15 years old when I'm doing this stuff. But yeah, Jay is correct. At the end of the day, the teams still have to play on the field. And you know what appears on the paper doesn't always translate to how the game plays out in real life, which I found very fascinating. Because you think it would, but it doesn't, because there's always the human factor. Yeah, there's always team chemistry. There's the human element, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, travel, sleep, all of that kind <laughs> of stuff. But I think this is a really interesting case that you present about the Brewers because you pointed this out to me and to Jay pretty recently, maybe about a month ago. And I have since been, I mean, I, and I was also kind of curious. I've been thinking a little more about the Brewers because as you mentioned, this is a team that, I mean, they're going to win. They're going to make the playoffs for the fifth year out of six years doing so with a middle payroll somewhere between 16 and 20 typically mm-hmm. each year. They have the 16th to 21st best payroll year in and year out. So they're not spending a whole lot of money. How are they doing this? They're drafting and developing, and they just keep having these great pitchers coming up from their farm system, both in their bullpen and in their rotation. Last year, they made that uh, the ruthless GM move, and had they not made this move, there's, they might have won the division. In fact, a lot of people believe they would have made the division. They traded their closer, Josh Hader, while they were had a three- or four-game lead in the division. And I think when you make that kind of move, there's the human element there, is what does that send to your locker room? What, do you, what, is that, what message is that? We're selling when we're in first place. What are we doing here? But it was probably a good move in terms of what they got back in that trade. Their bullpen right now looks like it's better than it was a year ago without Hater. So I'm looking at this team. We're two years removed. They still have those same three pitchers in their rotation. They're all still pitching well. Their bullpen is, in my opinion, better, or at least statistically it looks better than it did two years ago. And... Their offense looks a little better than it did two years ago. So I think that this Milwaukee team could be a nice uh, sleeper pick going into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they would, they have the potential to beat anybody on a good day. As I mean, the Dodgers are kind of like that, too. That's, that's the thing with the playoffs. You run into a team with really good pitching that get hot. Like, they, you could argue they weren't the best team, but they are the best team now, so you better deal with them. So who knows? I mean, that's the thing about the playoffs just being a crapshoot. I think, you know, we've heard the phrase in, in most in most sports, you know, not just baseball, but in other sports where they say defense wins championships or, or, or pitching wins championships in, in baseball sense, right? In the, in the sense that, you know, a lot of times when you're playing playoff baseball, you know, tensions are higher and, you know, the anxiety is higher and sort of the, you know, everything means so much more because it's you know, it's it's the end of the season, more elimination-based, and things like that. So because of that, usually bats don't get as hot. And also you're playing in October, it's a little cooler and all that sort of stuff. 
And so, you know, in the playoffs, I think a good a good pitching rotation and a good bullpen covers a lot of sins that you have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why a lot of times, you know, in, in sports like that, when you have a team that has a dominant defense or a dominant pitching staff or dominant goaltending in hockey or something like that make the playoffs, those are the teams that can make surprise slash deep runs because they are they are better equipped for what the 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 playoffs have to offer. Mm-hmm. And so what you have to do as as a team if you don't have that is that you just need to out hit it. And it's, you know, when the Dodgers won the World Series in the COVID year in 2020, that was when they were with that series with the Braves, the Braves were getting them. And then the Dodgers came out and I think it was game 4 or one of those games and they scored like 11 runs in the first inning or two. And I think it was game 5. Game 5, yeah, and it was like that set the tone. The Dodgers were like we're just going to out hit you now. And, you know, that, that sort of kept up then through the rest of, of their, of their comeback in that, in that series. And it's like, that's rarer to just out, out hit someone as, as opposed to out pitching in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I mean, I look at their lineup though. Yelich is back. I mean, Yelich really tailed off the last two, three years, similar to how Cody Bellinger did. Yelich is a highly productive player once again. Uh, And then, William Contreras comes over and Mark Kana and they they have a little more in that lineup now than they did the last couple of years in the postseason. So yep. I am uh, very interested to see how things go. And I really like I'm a big fan of Devin Williams. I think he's a, he's a fantastic closer. Jay's going to run and get some pizza. We can pause for a second, Jay. Yeah, sorry. No worries. I would love to talk more about baseball stats and all this stuff that I do. It's 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 fascinating because I this is such an internal thing. I never talk about this with anybody. Just me and my mm. brother are always texting about stuff we've learned in our baseball stats sims and stuff. And yeah, I've learned so many things about so many different teams over the years. Which things work in an offense? Which things don't work? Which pitchers are good and why? It's it's really fascinating to see the trends too over the years. Like nowadays, everybody's got a low WHIP, but they give up a lot of homers. So you put someone like uh, Kershaw or or Scherzer or uh, Verlander on one of these fantasy teams, and they don't historically do that great because they give up way too many homers. And I, oh, my team, with with me trying to go 162 and 0, I cannot have a pitcher who's homer prone. That's the thing. I absolutely cannot lose a game. I need a Greg Maddox who has a whip of like 0.7 and gives up four <laughs> homers. Like that that guy is so good. And Walter Johnson, I have Maddox Johnson. Those are my two aces. I got Bob Gibson from '68. But I cannot, I cannot risk even putting Randy Johnson on there on my team because he will have one bad game where he's a little wild or gives a couple homers and I could lose. And I hate, I hate losing with my team. <laughs> I hate losing. I do. My team does not lose. Right now, in my current simulation, my team is 80 and one. We just hit the All Star break. We won 80 games and lost one. And the one we lost was to the freaking 89 Royals because Brett Saberhagen shut us down. And that's the thing. <laughs> A good pitcher can shut you down no matter how good your offense is. So should we create a new statistic? Because we have OPS, which mm-hmm. and slugging percentage, which adds mm-hmm. it gives more weight to home runs and extra base hits than singles. Mm-hmm. Do we need some kind of variation of whip where you give up basically four hits for the home run? That's, I mean, in theory, that's kind of what slugging and, and OPS against. My my simulator SBS does yeah. calculate that OPS against, and that's the one that I really look at. Like, what is the average batter's OPS against this pitcher? Yeah, that's so, one. okay, yeah, so we have that. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, I, we I knew about the OPS against, but I was wondering if there was like a another variation of of whip. But I guess that works too. Yeah, that's that's the best you can do. And but again, it's so striking. Any team after about 2010, their whips are low. Their batters hit a lot of home runs. The pitchers give up a lot of home runs, and the strikeouts are unbelievable. How many more strikeouts there are nowadays compared to back in the day? <laughs> like I, I throw uh, who do I have on my team? Koufax. I put Koufax against any team from like the 2010s, and it's a guaranteed 15 or 16 strikeout game. It just is. Everyone strikes out so much more now, but he could also give up two home runs and four runs in the process. You mentioned um, how the games changed, so. Mm-hmm. With these really great looking whips, is that something that we should be taking into account with, okay, people strike out a little more. So do these whips mean the same as they may have 20 years ago when balls were just flying out, guys were juicing? <laughs> yeah, that's a good argument. I mean, that that's that's the thing. Am I, am I saying that Corbin Burns is better than Nolan Ryan? Like, not really. It, Nolan Ryan was probably, I mean, on paper... Burns has a way better whip. It's not even close. But like, does it mean the same thing? Probably not. Like, when guys are striking out 40, 50 times a year and Nolan Ryan's striking out 18 guys in a game, that says something. It's it says a lot more than guys that are striking out 12 people in a game now. Because it's it's everyone strikes out all the time now. So, yeah, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that yeah, it doesn't mean the same thing. Yeah, but like pitching is so fundamentally different now. It is. It's it's hard to compare errors. There's a there's a, there comes a time in baseball history. You got the dead ball era up until about 1945 or so. And then after that, you got the Ted Williams, Willie Mays era. And baseball is pretty much consistent. The stats that you could play teams from one era against another era and you can kind of simulate them. They're kind of even. But around 2010 or 12, baseball changes very dramatically in how we emphasize velocity, strikeouts, whip, and home runs. So it's really hard to compare teams before 2010 and after 2010. Not just velocity, but just violent movement on the ball in general yeah. right and yeah. and not you're not just oh they can throw a 12-6 or a big sweeping curve it's like no they're gonna throw like you know a hard down slider or a sweeper slider or you know that's why like i think about i think about carrie wood a lot mm-hmm. you know and and I, I watched carrie woods the other day i was actually watching clips of carrie wood in that 20 strikeout game he had you know, and I mean, it just was crazy because he was throwing a four-seam fastball at like 98, 99 miles an hour. And then he was throwing a hard bite slider at like 95. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you can't hit that. You just can't, right? Yeah. And it's like, he was able to go that complete game that day with just that incredible stuff. But, he, I mean, he didn't last long in his career because he threw mm-hmm. his arm out, yeah. you know? And, and, you know, how to combat that these days is... People just don't pitch deep into games. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I said, Blake Snell's going to win the Cy Young Award. He pitches like five innings every game, right? Yeah. And I and I sit here and I and I mock it a little bit, but it's just because Blake Snell is a Dodger killer, and you know, I have I have pent up feelings about that. <laughs> like, Blake Snell is a great pitcher, and it's like you can sit there and go, well, you know, Bob Gibson threw nine innings and all the things he did. It's like, well, yeah, but today that's not what pitchers are asked to do right mm-hmm. so it's nice to have someone like it's nice to have like lance lynn on the staff because yeah lance lynn gives up 80 billion home runs but he'll pitch you six innings every game six to seven mm-hmm. and that's nice for the dodgers because they use their bullpen a lot but it's like on most teams you know and especially in the playoffs like with the braves it's like can max freed get you five and then get you the bullpen <laughs> like absolutely right and it's like that's what the game is now it's starting pitcher get you five 
bullpen will take care of the rest. And then you have guys coming in there like, you know, the Dodgers have Bruce Star Gratterall who will go in there and throw a 99-mile-an-hour sinker for fun, you know, and mm-hmm. he only has to do it for an inning, and that's just what it is. Yeah, I was just saying, I think when I was watching the Mariners-Dodgers game, because I don't normally watch a lot of games on TV, but I was watching those Dodgers relievers, and I'm like, most of these pitches are not hittable. And I know the Dodgers probably don't have one of the best bullpens. and Maybe they do. I don't know. But I, I don't get the sense that they're like locked down, shut down every single game. But I'm, I'm watching them pitch. And I'm like, some of these pitches are so violent and so unhittable that I don't know how anybody wins games late in innings anymore. And then I'm thinking back to like the team that my specialty team is the late 80s, early 90s, Oakland A's. I know that team so well. I can picture that entire A's bullpen, Rick Honeycutt, Gene Nelson, Dennis Eckersley. I know all of them. None of them had a pitch anywhere remotely near any of the Dodgers pitchers nowadays. Like Eckersley had a little bit of a slider. <laughs> that was about it. Otherwise, he's pinpoint control. So there's so much emphasis on violent movement on baseball now. It's so much different than it ever was before. Yeah, and I heard someone ask a question about Christy Mathewson. Mm-hmm. It was in 1905 World Series. He threw three complete game shutouts. Yeah. And the question was, why don't people do this today? And the thing is, is, well, like, what velocity was he throwing? Like, if he's throwing, he probably threw 150 pitches three different times in that series. Yeah. No you one. Gotta... <laughs> go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, got to remember, he's going against half the batters in that lineup are choked up halfway up the bat just trying to make contact. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no one swinging for the fences. No one can do any damage. <laughs> right. And it's just not. I mean, he he was not throwing. The guys are now, as we talked about, it's it's give me all you got for those five innings. There's mm-hmm. there's very little pacing oneself anymore. Um, and I I honestly miss seeing guys pitch deeper into games. I think it was it was good when you had those starters uh, on the mound. I think it was more interesting to me when I had when I saw those starters pace themselves a little bit more. It's one of the things I've actually really enjoyed about watching college baseball because in college baseball they're Typically, you don't have that stable full of horses that all throw a hundred, as uh, Kevin Cash said about his bullpen a few years ago. You're mm-hmm. you're wanting to get as much out of your starting pitcher. I mean, I was watching one of those games where the Stanford kid threw, I think, 140 pitches, um, and it, and I know some people might not like that, or maybe it's not even the best. It, it, it might not be probably is not the best decision to make with your major league club, but I, I like seeing that as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's it's. Just a totally different thought process, and that's you see a lot of baseball fans kind of griping about that. Oh, they don't throw 120 pitches a game anymore, you know, wimps. But like, that's not baseball isn't designed for that anymore. That's just not the strategy. So, like, just get used to it. Yeah, and I mean, that's you know, again, I think it's a response to a lot of things in the sense that I think baseball was moving towards having a starting pitcher, you know, because like you said, in way back in the day, pitchers were expected to go nine if they if they <laughs> yeah. were if they were pulled. It was like, wow, what happened? Like, oh my god, right? <laughs> right. And then, you know, and as the generations went on, then it was about, oh, well, your pitcher's going to go like eight innings, and maybe you bring a closer in in the ninth, right? And yeah. then, sort of in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, it becomes established: your starting pitcher should go seven or six, and then you bring in like hold hold reliever or maybe a second hold reliever, and then you bring in your closer, right? Like I think of that Mariners teams, right? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Rhodes, Nelson, Sasaki, right? You know, just yep. get get Freddie can pitch six, and then it's over, right? And yep. then that's kind of how it goes, right? And you know, I think 
you know, the now they're asking their starter to not go six or seven. It's like go five, right? And then the problem is, is that you still needed an innings eater or two on your on your team just to save your arms in the bullpen, right? But mm-hmm. the I think I think the adjustment that baseball players have made now is that bullpen people have better arms, and so. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they still throw hard and do violent things, but now it's like, yeah, maybe you're going to go out there for an inning or maybe two thirds of an inning, but you're going to do it every day, and you're just going to have to condition yourself to do so. Mm-hmm. And so, I wouldn't say that relievers are like better this that, but it's like, yeah, starters don't have the stamina that older people did, but they throw a lot harder and a lot more violent and have a lot more RPMs on their stuff. And I think that bullpen people just have better stamina in general than they did a few years ago. Yeah, the one thing that I wanted to point out. By the way, are we even recording this? Is this we part are? Of the yeah. Show? <laughs> Glad we're back on the show. I'm not sure where we left off, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> the thing that a lot of people need to remember about baseball history is that back in the day, there weren't that many great pitchers in the world. So anybody who's in the bullpen was just a failed starter. If you can't make it as a starter, we'll throw you out there in the bullpen and maybe pitch you every so often. But there's so many good pitchers in baseball these days, and it's only going to get there's only going to get more in the future because of all the conditioning and all the programs they have now. That your relievers can often be better than your starters, and that definitely was not the case in baseball for like the first good hundred years or so of baseball. So it's a huge fundamental change when your best players on the team may be your relievers, your best pitchers. So that's one thing I just wanted to point out to people. And I think also as well, I think something that gets underrated, I feel, oops, sorry, I was kicking something. Something (laughs) gets underrated with um, bullpens is I think not only do you have to have strong arms, but I also think variety is such an important thing. And honestly, I think that's why the Dodgers bullpen is better than maybe advertised this year. Again, I, I don't think they're the best bullpen squad in baseball and i'm not trying to make that argument i'm not that much of a homer right but compared to some other bullpens that they've had in the past i actually like this bullpen because of their makeup in the sense that they've got like gratterall and some people that can come in and just throw throw flames for a while right but then they have like yarborough who like comes in for a couple innings as as this lefty pitcher he reminds me of like rich hill or something like he has a weird (laughs) he has a a weird r angle and he throws Mm -hmm. a good 10 miles an hour slower than everybody else and having that kind of variety is there. And then Evan Phillips is our closer, and he's he's better than some and not as good as others, but, like, everything everything Evan Phillips throws goes about two feet to the side. Like, it just, <laughs> everything sweeps. And it's like, that's different than, you know, other people. And I, I think the variety is really, really good. And that's why I like the Brewers closing, because, you know, yeah. Devin Williams' is like out pitch is not a huge fastball. Like, it's it's a it's kind of like a screwball type thing. You know, like, it's it's a real lazy changeup that kind of goes up there. And, I mean, Trevor Hoffman was one of the best closers of all time, and, I mean, his out pitch was a changeup. And it's like, sometimes that variety is what's going to get you the win. Mm-hmm. Well, and one reason why these pitchers are so good is there's less being asked of them. I mean, it's, again, it's like, okay... So give me give me your best stuff for five innings, and then with the relievers, give me just that one inning, empty the tank. You're not going to go more than one inning, and then you've got starters that are converting two relievers, uh, like you said. And the field starter thing still works now. I mean, there are guys who don't have more than two pitches, and yeah. you only need two pitches if you're a reliever in most cases. So, yes. and I know I know he was juicing, and I'm going to go back to my beloved team, but like Eric Gagne, yeah. who had one of the best closing runs of all time. And I know he was on the stuff. I get that fact, but it's like, he was a starter. He was a starter for a long time and I rooted for him. I thought he was a fun person and I, and I really wanted him to succeed, but he just, he just couldn't do it. Right. And then all of a sudden they 
came out of the pen. He's like, well, I can just throw my weird stuff for one inning, and it, that's yep. that's where it goes, right? And so <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes that's what it is. But I also think about certain pitchers, not necessarily ahead of their time, but I think about like a Kerry Wood or a Mark Pryor, or in my Dodgers case, I think about like what Oral Hershiser's career, as great as it was, could have been if you played in the modern era where they were like, Bulldog, all I need is five. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he could have had so many more years on his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good point. And I did ask the question uh, last year when Kyle Kendrick was on this program. Uh, I did ask him about that, and he said, you know, he came in the league, I think his rookie year was 2006 or 2007, and his last year was 2017. And it changed so drastically over those 10 years. I think it was really the 2010s where where we really saw that shift in philosophy because when he started, it was, it was that old school mentality of, you know, pace yourself and see how deep you can go into the game. And by the time he exited the sport, he, he was surprised to see how obsessed everyone got about pitch counts where it was like, okay, 90 to a hundred, you're, you're done. Cause that just was not the culture of the sport for the longest time. Yeah. But even then, on pitch count stuff, you have people like DeGrom and like Steven Strasburg and stuff like that, who they grew up in this era of humongous pitch counts and like they still throw their arms out and can't stay right. Healthy. Yeah. And uh, so speaking of that Brewers bullpen with Devin Williams and uh, Holby Milner and there are a few other guys in there. I mean, Piumps. Is that how you say it? Piumps. Oh, Joel. Yeah, yes. he's great. Oh, he's fantastic. They got him. I think they got him in the Murphy trade. They either got him in the Murphy trade or it was the uh, Hunter Renfro trade because they got a few relievers from the Angels in that trade as well. But I mean, this is a team, though. Again, I, I just want to point this out in terms of the sustained success that they've had relatively under the radar um, without spending much money and never rebuilding. 20... 16 or 2015 to 2017 the cubs had a nice run they won a world series they went to nlcs those three years but that was really the whole run and then in 2018 the brewers surpassed them and they ended up playing each other in a game 163 the final day of the regular season or sorry after the regular season they played a 163 the brewers end up surpassing them taking the division the Cubs have only made the playoffs once since then, and it was a COVID year, 2020. Um, Brewers have won the division three times, and they've made the playoffs five times over six years. Um, and that's that's counting. I'm, I'm giving them the division already. I'm, that's counting this year. But this is one of the... I mean, this is a really well-run organization that I think we should be talking about a little more in terms of how they're finding this success and sustaining this success without spending a great deal of money. Yeah. Again, I don't really even follow the national league that much, but just from my sim experience recently, just I play these teams, the Dodgers brewers and Braves. Like I, I keep playing those teams over and over. I'm like, those teams are always solid. So I would absolutely put the brewers up in the category with those other two, even though a Dodgers fan may not want to hear that, but no, yeah, no, I, no. I, 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 I totally agree with you, Jack. And, and, and I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, you know, when I say the Dodgers are, are looking at Atlanta, like Atlanta and the Dodgers, like maybe Atlanta has the better squad. Like it's just one of those, they're really, really good. 
And I think that Milwaukee, their sin is that they're in Milwaukee. And, yeah. you know, as, as someone who has lived the most of his life now in the Midwest, that's weird to think. Let's go. Midwest. <laughs> I've lived most of my life in, in the Midwest now. You, you become sensitive to those things. Like Milwaukee is, they have been doing it quietly the right way for a number of years. They've got a great stadium. They have amazing uniforms, which I know doesn't count for anything other than aesthetics, <laughs> but like... That's a killer franchise, and the fact that pe- more people aren't talking about them is just indicative of the fact that they're in Milwaukee. Yeah, it's the Midwest. And by the way, Jay, how many times you've been to Milwaukee? You've been there. You've been there quite a bit. Just a couple times. I have been exactly once. Just once. How'd you like it? That's it a city. Nice. I was younger at the time. Um, I have been to Madison, Wisconsin, several times. Oh, Madison's great. Uh huh. Um, I've been to some Wisconsin Badgers football games and I, my cousin, uh, when she got married, I was like seven. So I was, I was living in LA. It's not like I was living in the Midwest then, but, um, my cousin got married in Madison because they met at the university of Wisconsin. And so I went to a wedding there. Like I've, and I've been to, um, I've been to some of the Southern towns like Lake Geneva and stuff like that in, in Kenosha. Yeah, several times. Uh, Milwaukee itself, I've only been once. So I wouldn't consider myself an expert in that sense. But I have been to the good state of Wisconsin several times. It's very pretty up there. Mario, you ever been to Milwaukee? (laughs) I was just going to say, you're not going to get this, Jack. I think you're too young. But Jay will know exactly where I'm going with this. I cannot believe you guys just went through an entire, hey, how many times have you been to Milwaukee uh, situation? And nobody quoted Wayne's World or Alice Cooper. (laughs) <laughs> That's right out of the movie. Oh, I've been yeah, a regular you know, visitor. I've been a regular visitor here. Yeah. Milwaukee. Oh my had gosh, it. you're I, right. I have, yep. it, I have it pulled up right here for you, Jack. You see, you said Mario. Do you come to Milwaukee often? And I will say, well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee <laughs> has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. I was in not fact, aware of that. Yeah. In fact, is it Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Milwaukee, which is Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> I was not aware of that. I think one yeah. of the most interesting aspects about Milwaukee is it's yeah. the only major American city to have ever elected four socialist mayors. <laughs> Yes, I, I don't even have believe. it in front of me, and I can yeah. quote that. Yeah, you guys were going through that whole thing, and I'm dying. I'm like, nobody's <laughs> making an Alice Cooper reference? Anyway, to answer your question, Jack, no, I've never been to Milwaukee. <laughs> However, well, I should point out, as a Seattle resident, Milwaukee Brewers came from Seattle. So you're welcome. Ah, there you go. Well, I was just going to say, with all that said, underrated well, It's because franchise. your stadium sucked there. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to argue that. Stadium was a, was was a real bad place, and it was not ready for for major league consumption. And I do not blame them for leaving. Yeah, no one would argue otherwise. I'm just saying they were born <laughs> of Seattle, so that's a, Seattle's gift to the world: the Milwaukee Brewers <laughs> and the Oklahoma City Thunder. If you want to be technical, and 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 by proxy, Major League, the movie. That's right. Exactly, Bob Euchre. You're yep. welcome. We give you Bob Euchre. Yep, County Stadium, or is that what, is that what it was called? I can't remember. County State, what the Brewers? Yeah, where they shot Major League. Oh uh, yeah, that was County Stadium, the old one. Yeah, yeah. Well, Milwaukee, underrated city, underrated franchise. That's a great city. I love Milwaukee. Amazing food city. It's a great food city. Super good food city. Great food city. Food's so I- good. Frozen custard. Yes, Mario. 
I was going to say, as a fan of true crime, they also gave us Jeffrey Dahmer, so it's a good true crime city, too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> great food city, great people, very friendly, Midwest, humble humble Midwest town. So giving some love to the Brewers. I just uh, I know I have to give props to Michigan because that's where I yep. that's where I am now and whatnot. But like, let's talk about Wisconsin for a second. What's their major fast food chain that like permeates the Midwest at least? And thing it's Culver's. That is such a quality chain. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, have you had Culver's, I, Mario? I had it once, but it was in Phoenix, so it's spread out as far as Phoenix, but it hasn't made it to California, and that bothers me because I like that chain quite a bit. Oh, their burgers are so good. The custard is so... I actually had a custard yesterday. It was fantastic. You guys suck. (laughs) Frozen... Their frozen custard is, like, my... If I want a dessert in the summertime, that's my go-to. Like, I'm I'm not... I I go there over Dairy Queen seven days a week. Do they not have good local ice cream shops near you, Jack? Oh, they do. They do. I meant in terms of fast food. If I'm doing fast food... Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, though. Custard for fast food chains. But Cops Frozen Custard in Milwaukee. If you ever go back to Milwaukee, go to Cops. It's it's like it's Culver's on steroids. It's it's amazing. I do like the sound of that. Yeah, it's great. So, all right, just to put a wrap on this, and then we'll shift over. No, and no, talk no. I'm going to say one more thing. You know where the best custard I've ever had in my life was? The best custard milkshake? Seattle. No. <laughs> <laughs> Hutchinson, Kansas. Hmm. Shout out to a tiny town of Hutchinson, Kansas. Why were you in Hutchinson, Kansas? Oh, you know, just just this and that. Um, I was there, <laughs> I was there for a wedding. Uh, my wife's uh, college roommate was from around there, and they got married there. And I mean, it was just a. It, it looked the town in Kansas looks exactly how you probably think it looks in your head. And, you know, we flew into Wichita, which looked like a city, which I appreciated. And then we drove to Hutchinson, which was about an hour north. And my God, you got out of the city limits and you're like, well, I'm in Kansas. And, you know, you're just kind of driving. (laughs) Hutchinson, Kansas is weird. It actually has a museum there. Um, I want to call it the Cosmodrome is what I want to call it. But it was started by a really rich dude who was very into space. And he started collecting a lot of like very important space artifacts and outbidding the Smithsonian for them. And he quietly collected this amazing museum of space, you know, uh, relics and, and paraphernalia. And so much so that it, it is now a Smithsonian affiliate. They like trade things back and forth. And so like, we just like went into this random museum in the middle of Hutchinson, Kansas. And I saw like the, the Odyssey, the, the, which was like the main um, compartment of Apollo 13 that they like went back, crashed, landed onto, the earth in like it's there in this museum and like they just had all of these fun little like space artifacts in the middle of nowhere kansas but they, wow. had, a re- they had a little diner there in hutchinson i want to get the name right because i'm there might be someone from there that's listening to this podcast it was called bogies i think it was called and they had like just a, a wall just in chalk of all of the like many like several dozen combinations of shake you can get which had like you know, you can get like a cherry pie one where they like threw a slice of cherry pie in there and they oh. it up. Like it just, it was so good. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. I wonder how far that is from Omaha. Maybe I'll go to the College World Series next year and take a little stop in Hutchinson, Kansas. I mean, I wouldn't recommend it because <laughs> it probably is too far, but. <laughs> Went to Omaha for the first time and 
uh, what's the College World Series? My sister and I, we had a day. We went to the, it was the first of the two games that we ended up going to, TCU playing in. It was probably 95 degrees. We were out in the bleachers, uh, just cooking, sweating so much, um, drinking lots and lots of water. And we were very hungry. So we ended up walking over to this restaurant, met up with a friend of mine who's been on the show, Jack Keenan. He's a, he's a newscaster in Omaha. And, um, went to, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but my sister got a Reuben sandwich and she said that it was the greatest Reuben sandwich that she had ever had in her life. Um, and then yesterday of, of all days, she just says, Hey, did you know that the Reuben sandwich actually originated from Omaha, Nebraska? And I said, no. And she said, well, that must be why it was the greatest. I don't know if you guys knew that. Little fun fact from Jack Vita. <laughs> I don't know what your guys' take on Reuben sandwiches is. Well, I love Reuben not, sandwiches. It's, it's not as big as your take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have no more to say than, than I love Reuben sandwiches. <laughs> I found them warm and delicious. <laughs> so, um, all right. So I just want to know, Jay, uh, I guess I, I one last thing on this National League picture. So it's really interesting because we were just talking about Brewers, Braves, Dodgers. Those three teams have been the most successful in their respectful respective divisions for the past you know five six years. Dodgers have had a couple run-ins with the Brave or with the Brewers and also with the Braves. Like these teams have all met each other at least a couple times. Yep. Um, Dodgers played them in eighteen and twenty. Right. Those are the two years. Yep. At 20, the Brewers weren't very good. Um, 18, it went to 7. Did you, like, is this a team that you fear at all or respect, I guess, is a question? Oh, very much so. Um, I don't necessarily want to meet Milwaukee, you know, if we can avoid it. But they're a team that I, they they always seem very beatable, I guess, in the sense that if if I'm going to rank, if I'm going to rank teams that I'm scared of, they're probably second in the National League because... I think Atlanta's scarier, and yeah, well, you, you can say those sorts of things. I was wary of the Padres if they ever got it together, which they didn't. And you know, the Mets started the year with with a with a seeming rotation that was going to be very very untouchable, but it didn't pan out, and then they traded everyone. And what are you going to do? So it looks like it's going to be shaping up for another Atlanta-LA clash. And we haven't touched on much Atlanta, basically, because, I mean, what is there to say? They're, they're this, pretty great. <laughs> they're the best team in baseball. Like, it's, yeah. they have to be the favorites. Yeah, I think but so. I think so. You mentioned Philly, and I'm curious to know what you like about Philly as someone that, I mean, not as if that that not to say you root for Philly, but what do you like about that team? Because that you mentioned that would be another team that you wouldn't really want to play. Because it's it's in a way it's kind of like the Brewers in the sense that their bullpen is serviceable. I would say the Brewers is probably better, um, you know. And they've got Nola and Wheeler, and it's like yeah. I know, I know that you know that they haven't like been like horrifically lights out this year. But it's like the playoffs could come, and then they yeah. can be in shutdown mode again, right? And it's like. We've seen it so many times in the playoffs. If you have a great one-two out of your starting rotation, you've always got a chance. And then you look at that lineup, you know, with with Bryce and Schwarber and Real Muto, and uh, you know they can mash. And so it's just one of those where I think the Phillies, you know, they they put it all together and made a run, you know, and that was nice. But this year they haven't really put it all together, 
you know, like Turner hasn't been hitting lights out and all this sort of stuff, but it's like, they're scary. When you look at their, when you look at them on scarier, they appear scarier than the Brewers are. I don't know if they are scarier, but they appear so. And they're one of those teams where it's like, if you wake them up, it's going to be hard to hold them back. Yeah, and they're better this year than they were last year. Like, they're 14 over 500. They barely squeaked in last year, and that largely came to the team that we were just talking about, Milwaukee, who was very poor down the stretch of last season. But, I mean, this team has great team chemistry. And one more thing that we didn't mention, there's something about playing those home games at Citizens Bank Park in October. It's an electric atmosphere. Um, Just, I think they won their first six home games last year in the playoffs. Agreed. I mean, that I don't want to play them. They're tough as it is. But but you know, with with the Phillies, it's their 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 lineup is very feast or famine, right? Yes. You know, it's yep. when they're cold, they are unbelievably cold, right? Like if Schwarber's not hitting the ball, then he's he's a strikeout. You know what I mean? He right. He's either hitting the ball four hundred feet or he's a strikeout. And so that's just kind of how it is, right? And, and you know, they haven't all sort of put it together at the same time all year, like Riomuto and, and Harper and Trey Turner and, uh, you know, Castellanos and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, I don't play MLB The Show, the video game, but I would imagine that a lot of their cards are diamonds. You know what I mean? They've, they've, just, <laughs> right. they've, just, got a, they've just got a real team that can mash. And, and it's, it's one of those where you just look at that and you say, hey, if they all get hot at the right time, that's a real tough team to beat. You mentioned Kyle Schwarber. He just became an above replacement player. I mean, he had a minus war. Yeah. (laughs) So Kyle Schwarber has 45 home runs, and he had a negative war up until probably like two weeks ago. So that... Yeah, but every team sort of needs that guy, right? Like that guy that probably might be better on like a slow pitch softball team. (laughs) Yeah. Like for for the for the Dodgers, and he's got a really nice eye normally, and I get that. For the Dodgers, it's Muncie, right? Like, yeah, you know, Max Muncie. It's just like he either is he's usually like making out somehow, or he's hitting the ball five million feet, and it's like, <laughs> you know, Muncie in the previous years hit for average a little bit better. Like this year, he's his average is atrocious, but he still has like thirty plus home runs. You know, so what are you gonna do? Well, the one thing that. I mean, is interesting is Philly bats Schwarber leadoff most of the time. He's their leadoff guy, and so most of those home runs are coming with nobody on base. <laughs> so I'm fine with allowing the uh, solo home runs. I just don't want the two run and three run homers to beat me. I mean, I do like. I mean, that's that's the thing about the Dodgers that I like. You know, going in there is you know we've I've talked about how I'm scared about these other teams, but it's at the same time it's like you face the Dodgers, you're gonna have to face Mookie Betts. Freddie Freeman and you know JD Martinez coming up a little bit afterwards like it's in Will Smith like that's a that's a tough that's a tough road you know and then they've got on the back end they've got like Muncie and you know James Outman and you know some people that can rake and it's like they're scary too but they can get cold and I don't trust their starting pitching hey by the way Freddie Freeman I believe he's at 56 doubles he might reach 60 doubles this year is that something you guys care about? I mean, I haven't thought about it too much until now. <laughs> but the accomplishment of 60 doubles in a season, is that something that you're like, wow, that's that's really 
something. I mean, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching Edgar Martinez, who was a doubles machine, and he never had sixty doubles. So yeah, you know. But, but I have the, I have the same I have the same stance on that as I do, as I do on Rubens. I think that's good. <laughs> Freeman reminds me the most, and, and and I'm not making the direct comparison, so don't quote me on this, but. Like, Edgar Martinez, when he hit doubles, like, Edgar Martinez had this just knack where he could just, he hit the ball and it was just down the line, like, every time. You know what I mean? It just, down the line. I mean, he hit some gap shots. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't, right? But it's like, when I think of, when I think of an Ed, Edgar Martinez at bat in my head, he's hitting the ball down the line for a double. And that's sort <laughs> of what it is, right? But then I think of somebody like Ichiro, right? Where, like, Ichiro hit it everywhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. it just didn't matter where you were. He just hit it hit it where you ain't kind of thing. And like Freddie Freeman isn't as much of an average hitter as, as Ichiro is. He's got a little more pop in his bat, but like, that's what Freddie Freeman does. It just Freeman always seems to find the place where people aren't and he hits it and he's got decent enough speed. And so he's legged out a lot of doubles because he just sort of has that, had that short approach, that Wade Boggs approach to hitting where he just kind of like hits, flicks his wrist at the last moment and the mm-hmm. ball goes somewhere where someone isn't, and it's just really nice to see. And that Freddie Freeman contract is looking like a, a bargain, in all honesty. I mean, that was, what, six-year, five-year, 125, compared to what... Do you want to give Freddie Freeman five-year, 125, or do you want Carlos Correa for six years, 200 million? Or the Sandra Dodgers, Bogart? The Dodgers yeah. have been smart. Like, you yeah. know, I was watching some people the other day talk about, like, biggest contracts in baseball, right? And it's like, Freddie and, and Mookie Betts are among the top 30 in salary, but they're near the low end, right? Like, they're only making, like, 25, 26, 27-ish million a season, which is still an ungodly amount of money. But, like, you know, it could be Anthony Rendon. Yeah. It could be a, a worse contract, and it isn't. And because of that, the Dodgers are able to, I mean, yeah, they struck out with Trevor Bauer, and they've, you know, they've made some bad moves, and and all that sort of stuff, but it's like the Dodgers have Mookie and Freddie locked up for a couple years, and they're going to make a run at Shohei, and I don't know what Shohei's going to get next year. It's going to be a lot, but the Dodgers can pay it. Now, oh, Mario, were you going to say something? Nope, I have nothing to say about Shohei Otani. (laughs) (laughs) Unless he becomes a Mariner, then you'll have a lot to say. (laughs) Watch him go to the Giants, then we're both pissed. (laughs) I feel like no. I don't know. They they seem to think yes up in San Jose, so we'll see. They think a lot of things up there. <laughs> I mean, they thought they might get Judge. I mean, John Heyman thought they got Judge, for that matter. Yeah. <laughs> Arson Judge. Um, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. John Heyman the, from New York Post reported that Judge signed with the Giants last year at the winter meetings. Mm. He tweeted out that Arson Judge had agreed to a contract with the Giants. And then shortly after, he deleted it. Arson Judge. Arson wow. Judge. Yeah, like but the no. Steve, the, the Steve Harvey meme at the Oscars. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So the Giants have been trying to get that big-time free agent, and they haven't been able to. The last got big-time free agent they got was Cueto, and that was uh, back in 2015, before 2016. Um, that's a long time. That's like eight years. So I'm not convinced that they're going to be the one, the team that lures Shohei Otani. And what I am curious to know, Jay, is now with Otani getting injured, I mean, that obviously changes the price value for Otani. Does and I would, it? 
though? Yeah, that's my answer, too. <laughs> Does it really change? He's already one of the best hitters in baseball. Well, you were talking before about acquiring, for the duration of the contract, a, a an elite pitcher and an elite hitter. So you're getting two players. And eventually that will be two players because he's going to come back. But what I'm asking is, I mean, does this change how much money a savvy team like the Dodgers are willing to spend? Are they going to now say, you know what, maybe they were willing to offer more. Is he worth less to them? Does that change like their highest bid that they would go to? I mean, it was going to be stupid money either way. That's how I look at it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, you know, that was the whole thing with Otani when he came over in the first place was teams like the Dodgers wanted him, but they couldn't, they wouldn't necessarily guarantee him that, yeah, we'll let you hit and pitch. You know, we only want you for one, preferably hitting, right? Mm-hmm. And the Angels were like, yeah, you can hit and pitch. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll go then. He went with the Angels. And it's like his career and, and his injuries may make it to where he can't hit and pitch at the same time, and he'll have to pick one. And I, you know, hey, maybe he makes a full recovery and he's, you know, an absolute freak of nature and continues to hit and pitch at an extremely high level for years to come. That's obviously the best case scenario for Shohei Otani and his fans and whatever club signs him. But I think, I think he's going to be more limited in probably the pitching aspect in the sense that he's going to be a position player and he's going to be, have his bat in the lineup. But I also think like every once in a while, if you need an arm for something, you could run him out there and, and, and he can pitch for a couple of innings or something every once in a while. And I think that there's value in that. And I think even just having that added value just makes him, you know, almost invaluable. Yeah. I mean, so that's you... one, one thing I just wanted to point out is that, yeah, even if he can't pitch next year or next two, three years or whatever, he still was on pace to break the home run record as a hitter this year. So this is not, I mean, it's not that much of a discount if he's not a pitcher, a full-time pitcher. Well, and also, it's a great financial investment because of the amount of money you're going to make by yes. having Otani. He's going he's to sell jerseys. He's going to sell tickets. He, I mean, he's it's everything. Whatever he asks. TV, you know, everything. Yeah, I, I don't buy the argument of, oh, well, his price is discounted because of his injury. <laughs> it's like, no, he's he's worth... he's. We can have a deeper argument about why we pay sports athletes so much money and all that sort of stuff and why we don't pay like first responders and teachers and stuff like that, similar things. I get that fact, but the fact of the matter is sports generates a lot of money. And if they generate a lot of money, then these people should get paid. And it's like, I, do I think that Otani should have the highest contract in baseball? Yeah, I think he does because of what he brings to the table that no one else does. Like he's doing something that not even Babe Ruth could do. So what are you going to do? Well, yeah, I mean, he's a brand. He's even more than a player. He has an entire country after him. It's, yeah. it's following him. It's, it's crazy going to those Angels games and just seeing, again, the Japanese populace or just the Asian populace in general that turns out for whenever Otani plays. It's ridiculous. It's, just, it's such an attendance boost. So you're saying, Jay, that the Dodgers are still going to – you believe that they're, the amount that they would offer to Otani has not changed? I think so. Okay, that's that was what I was tr- I was wondering. That's very interesting. Good to good to know. Um, so I guess I'm curious. What do you guys think? We're already we're touching the stove here. Where do you guys think that he's going to go in free agency predictions? 
<laughs> my prediction it's a it will be a very exciting back and forth race between Anaheim and Anaheim, and he'll stay right in Anaheim. <laughs> That's my guess is it will not be anywhere near as interesting as people think it's going to be. <laughs> I think he's going to either remain an angel, he's going to sign with the Dodgers, or there's a weird outside shot for Seattle because of its history and. Yeah. You know, the team that they have, yeah. like, I don't think that you can completely shut out Seattle. I think you can completely shut down the Bay Area. <laughs> I think he stays, and I, and, I, and I think you can shut down the East Coast. I think he's staying West Coast. Yeah, and Midwest. And, yeah, and I, I think he's staying, he's staying West Coast. And I think Mario's right. I think that probably he stays an angel because they can pay him, and, you know, he'll be the guy and all that sort of stuff, which is just insane that they have Otani and Trout, and they lose every game. And <laughs> it's kind of what it is, but it's sad. It's really sad. But I mean, if he wants to go, you know, the Dodgers are, you know, the Dodgers have Betts and Freeman for several years, and you know, some upcoming things. Like the Dodgers are the more attractive prospect for winning things. But if he's got a good gig going in Anaheim, why change it? Yeah, why mess with what's working? I think he's going to stay in Anaheim, but I do think the Dodgers will be the greatest temptation i think i give them a, a good chance it'll be one of those t- two teams um be interesting to go see him go to seattle um i mean it's hard to say win-win right because you know i think that wh- whatever teams bid for otani and he listens and he doesn't sign with them you lose because you don't get shohei otani like i understand that concept but the dodgers i think they made some smart moves this offseason because a lot of guys that signed big contracts aren't playing very oh. well like, and, are any of them? <laughs> right. So I think that they dodge that sort of thing. And the Dodgers, I think, are just sort of turtling a little bit for Otani. And if they get him, great. They have Otani. If they don't, they can then start to, like, spread that money and see who they can get. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going, you know. Like I'm not, Snell. Yeah. I'm not going to be, like, super catatonic if the Dodgers don't sign Otani. Because I don't necessarily think they will. I know that they're they're wanting to. Right? But... If they don't, they're just going to buy a couple other more people and they'll be just fine. Yeah. And uh, and San Diego's not getting him either. Just want to say that. Why would he go there? Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I think Anaheim's a more attractive uh, landing place than San Diego. San Diego thinks that, I mean, they want to sign every free agent and the leaks and the, the reports have been that they're going to push heavy for them, but... Doesn't mean that he's going to push heavy to play there. No. <laughs> now watch at the end of the day, watch him go somewhere random like the Royals or something. <laughs> I would love that. Like that would be so funny. That'd be so funny. I always wanted to play in Kansas City. He said through his translator. He he signs with the Reds. <laughs> he's just like he's like Ellie's awesome. I want to be on the Reds. <laughs> Oakland. Oakland gets him. Then they move to Las Vegas. <laughs> So Mario is a big-time Mariners fan. Three weeks ago, he was very excited. I think the Mariners were in first place at the time. They were the hottest team in baseball. What has happened since, Mario? Okay, this this has been a really odd season to be a Mariners fan. And it's, it's interesting because, like, you know, I hear Jay talking about who they want to play in the playoffs this year, who we match up with. Seattle does not have no Seattle fan has that mindset yet to the point where 
it's assumed we're going to be in the postseason. We just want to know who our good matchup is. Like we we have 40 years of not developing that mindset yet. So <laughs> at this point, we're just hoping to get in the playoffs again. And and I keep saying this. I've been banging this drum. You you go back and listen to my show from the start of the year. I do a, a preseason recap for uh, Jack every year. And yeah, I said, preview. Yep. This is the best Mariners team on paper in my lifetime. Like, and I know the 2001 team won, you know, set the wins record, but on paper, they didn't look that good. It's if you look at the team now, it's still amazing. Like, really, with Brett Boone, he was your big star. Like, it's it's kind of funny <laughs> that they won so many games with that lineup, but they did. But on paper, this should be the best Mariners team in my lifetime, and it's been so frustrating this year when you know they're good and they know they're good, and it just hasn't really clicked. And it did click for about a month, for about a month and a half when they went, went something like 21 and four. They were unbelievable how good they were. And now they've crashed right back down to earth. And my theory is that the, the, the thing that I didn't, I didn't factor this into my head. I knew they'd have a good pitching staff. But sometimes, again, I'm kind of a stat guy. So I kind of forget the real life variables that you don't factor in in stats. The Mariners have a very young pitching staff. And what I think happened is they started hitting their innings limit. And if you look at their team, they got Luis Castillo, who is a known pitcher, so he can throw 200 innings. You got Logan Gilbert, who is just starting to become a regular pitcher. It's like his third or fourth year. After that, we have George Kirby. This is only his second year in the majors. First full year. He wasn't even up all of last year. Then you have Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, who are both rookies. And I think what got them is they're just pooped. They're just exhausted. This is way more innings than most of these guys have ever thrown in a season before. And again, it's something I forgot to factor in. You, you don't think about this stuff when you're just looking at numbers and on paper that, oh, yeah, I forgot they're all rookies. And the problem is we had this guy, Emerson Hancock, who was supposed to come up and relieve them towards the end of the year. He got hurt, so he's out for the rest of the year. And they're just pitching on fumes right now. And that's kind of the problem because that's been their bread and butter. And this is the thing I wanted to talk about. Like we talked about earlier, the stats, how you look at the 2021 Brewers, how they had three starters with a whip under one. And I had never seen that in baseball history before. This year, the Mariners had four, almost four starters with a whip under one. They're all like 1.02 and three. They were right there. It would have been the first time in my life I had ever seen four starting pitchers with a whip at one or under if the Mariners had pulled that off. And they were really close to it in August, and they're not now. They've kind of started tailing off. But this is the thing that I wanted to keep banging into people's heads, that I'm not just some you know dumb Mariners homer that's going to say, oh, yeah, they're going to win this year because I love them. If you look at that pitching staff, how good they should be and how good they are going to be if they all stay together, stay healthy, and reach their potential – they have a chance to have a historically good pitching staff. And I'm talking like 95 Braves good if they all reach their peak at the same time. But the problem is right now they're just exhausted. And I think, Jack, that's what's happening to them. And the offense isn't strong enough to make up for it if the pitching staff isn't dominant like it was. And it's just, it's right now, we're right on the razor's edge right now. And if we can compete with the great teams, and it's a bad time to be learning that. Jay, have you been following the Mariners at all? I mean, not as closely as Mario. <laughs> yeah, he's got um, his but, own his own pennant race to worry about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like everything about the Mariners just shows you that they're a franchise on the uptick, right? Like they yeah. they signed Julio Rodriguez to a long deal, and as long as they keep developing things around him, I think that they're in a good position. 
yeah, that's the thing. This isn't necessarily our year. So, like, if we don't make the playoffs, if we don't win the World Series, which we're probably, <laughs> odds are, if you're going to play smart money, the Mariners probably will not win the World Series in any one given year. But I would guess they probably won't win the World Series this year. But, man, I'm so excited about them over the next two, three, four, five years. Because, yeah, Julio's good, but he's not the only one. we got a lot of stuff still coming up through the minors. This pitching staff is unbelievable. I think I just mentioned... Uh, I just mentioned our four, Bryce Miller's the fourth one, and then uh, George Kirby, then Gilbert and Castillo. The fifth guy, Brian Wu, who just shut down the A's last night. I just saw a, uh, an article on him. I, I know I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I want to bring it up again, that there was some website, and I forget it's Pitching Ninja or one of those that studies like advanced metrics and spin rate and stuff. And they're like, Brian Wu is the perfect pitcher. They're like, he has four major league caliber pitches that we could not do anything to improve on. He could not improve these pitches. They are that ideal. So like he may be the best of the five someday. So the Mariners are such a scary team if we can make it into the playoffs, because again, anything happens in the playoffs, you got a good four, three, four, five man pitching staff. You can be unbeatable. The Mariners have the type of team that could do that, but we're right on the cusp of if we're going to make the playoffs or not. And it's again, it's just it's driving me insane because they're playing underneath where they should be. Now, you mentioned George Kirby. Yeah. And I, I have to ask you about it. I know I know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I know your question and I know my answer is going to be and it's not going to be pretty. So go ahead and ask away. Let's, let's do this little dance, Jack. <laughs> I would not be doing my job right if I didn't ask this question. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Blue chips. Um, okay. So. George Kirby said something, I'm paraphrasing, he was talking about his start, and he had remained in the game, was it the, uh, he pitched five, and then he stayed in there in the sixth, and he got, he didn't do well in the sixth? Yeah, it was either sixth or seventh, I forget what inning it was. So he pitched either five or six really good innings, and he felt like his day should have been done. He told reporters this. And this poor second-year player has just been getting dunked on. For the past two weeks by former players, media members, etc. Um, I would love to know your thoughts on a player saying that to the media. Is this something that is like indicative of anything of like, hey, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't be th- saying criticizing a decision from your manager or making a statement about your own how you were feeling in that game. Does this show weakness to your opponents or? Is this entirely something that is being blown up by my peers in the media? (laughs) You keep saying you want to hear my opinion on this, but I'm not entirely sure you do. I would love it. You know, you know how I am. You know, I'm an outside the box sinker. All right. You ask for it. Again, I I don't share strong opinions on stuff unless people (laughs) ask me. But since you asked, uh, yeah, so George Kirby, second year pitcher historically or not maybe historically but famously competitive he's very pissy very competitive he's got a chip on his shoulder a mile wide about issuing walks he hates walking people and this is i i've seen the uh, mariners beat writers and the announcers talk about this before that if george kirby walks one guy in a game he's mad at himself and he like that's all he remembers the rest of the day so he's got a an issue with walks it's just a mental block and I, we know this about him this is a thing that game he walked two batters in the first inning, which I know enough about George Kirby to know he hated that. He was so mad at himself. And he recovered from that. He ended up in the fifth. He went out in the sixth or seventh or whatever. He had a bad inning. He blew the game. 
after the game, the reporters kind of asked him and he did something dumb, which is tell the truth. And you should never <laughs> tell the truth as a player. Again, if I was a player, I would never talk to you scum sucking media vultures because I hate the media and you guys are the devils. And I would never talk to you because the media people exist just to stir up drama and then cause controversy. So me Kirby did the one thing that you'd never do is be honest. He's like, yeah, I was mad. I didn't have a good game. And then he kind of said something he shouldn't. He blamed the manager for leaving him out there in the sixth inning, which again, it's a dumb rookie mistake. No one's going to say that unless you're what, 24 or whatever. And oh my God, the amount of fapping the media has done over this just because <laughs> they have dug up a story and they have created controversy and that's what they do. And of course, I'm talking about every member of the media but you, Jack, because you're the one good one. But the rest of them are all a-holes who exist to do nothing but stir up drama because it sells clicks on websites. And that's all it is. And Kirby should have moved past this five minutes after it happened. And anybody who's still talking about it is a dick. Can I say that? <laughs> sure. That's all I can say. I'm sorry. You asked my opinion. Anybody who's still talking about it is the problem. That's all I'm going to say. Is that a yeah. strong opinion for you? You tell him. I mean, do you disagree with that, Jay? I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, think, I hate the media. I'm just saying I'm Steve Carlton and Barry Bonds. I would never talk to you guys. I, there's that. But I also feel like, you know, we sit here and we, we, we harp on players. You know, like I remember Russell Wilson in football got like just absolutely lambasted by the media because he was giving like stock answers to everybody, like even teammates, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like yeah. it just seemed like he was being interviewed 24 seven. And then people are like, why doesn't anyone like give us some honesty? Right. Yeah. And then yep. here's George Kirby. Who's just mad and was like, yeah, they, I should have been pulled, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, then everyone's like, Oh, well you can't say that. Yeah. And it's like, well, why not? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's and then again, they're all just sharks. Every website, every media person swarming to get the biggest controversy and the most clicks out of this. Let, let me let me put it in perspective. When I'm, you know, when I'm acting in a show, you know, and my director gives me something, and I don't necessarily agree with the note that they're giving, I will say something, but I won't say like, "Wow, you're a you're a piece of trash." Wait, mm -hmm. what a what a horrible note, blah blah blah. But I'll be like. I don't agree with that. I think blah, 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 blah. And it's like, we can have a back and forth on it and we could argue our points. And at the end of the day, if the director's like, too bad, you're doing this thing anyway, because I say so, the answer is, okay, that's what we do, right? But it's like, you know, it, George Kirby's going to follow his manager. It's not like by him saying, I should have been pulled. He's like, you know, screw this team. I'm out of here. I hate everybody, right? He's just yeah. mad in this one moment going like, God, I shouldn't have been in that long. And it's like, I think that he can say that, and it doesn't necessarily mean he's showing up his manager or showing up his team. He's just giving you what he thought, and maybe it's the right thought. Maybe it's the wrong thought. Maybe he should say it to the media. Maybe he shouldn't, but he said it, and I think that it's just honesty from a person, and I'm like, why are we, why are we getting on a guy who's competitive, who's giving us, like, George Kirby is better able to talk about pitching in a major league game than I am, than you mm -hmm. are, than you are, and it's like, you know, he had an opinion on it. Maybe his opinion was wrong, but he has a very informed opinion, and he was just telling you what he was thinking. Yeah. And again, to me, this is nothing more than just the media just wanting someone to tear down. Everyone, there has to be a story. There has to be a bad guy. We've got to pile on. Luckily, we had Wander Franco, who kind of took the heat off him for a while. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. Like, George Kirby, it's... I. I the, the, I, I feel bad for these young players because he, he probably knows he said something dumb and now he gets ripped apart for it. And 
that's what you, yeah, I don't want to see this get into his psyche. Like he's a sensitive guy to start with. This is, yeah. that's the, it's the thing that makes me mad. No. And I think, I mean, to your point, this is exactly why Anthony Rendon doesn't want to talk to the media. I mean, yeah, he's this right. This is exactly why Anthony Rendon, who is getting crushed. And I, th- I, th- I think he's fine. He's like, you know what? I'm fine. Whatever. I'll, I'll take whatever criticism I get for not talking to the media rather mm-hmm. than like having my words be used against me. I think that's probably the way he approaches it. Cause he knows that he's going to get killed for, for not talking to the media. But I mean, I think I sent you guys that some of the responses that he was giving, like mm-hmm. he had a, a wrist injury and he got asked, how's your wrist? And he said, I have two. And he held up his wrist and then he walked away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. See, again, if I was a player, that's the kind of stuff I would do just because I've seen this over the years and it's so infuriating. So it's just, I just cannot believe this is still a story, but at the same time, I can believe it's still a story because I know how the internet and social media works now. It has to be a story until the next big controversy comes along. It's uh, it is it's the game, I suppose. Now, just to clarify, not every reporter there are good ones. Not everybody's looking for that for try to stir stuff up. And they're, I mean, you can take a look at some of the guys who get the most information. Mm-hmm. They're they're so well liked and respected by players because they they feel that they can trust them and they don't do that stuff. So shout out to shout out to Bob Nightingale and Ken Rosenthal. I, I always know I've had a successful podcast when Jack has to give a disclaimer afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those are my thoughts. I was hoping you would not ask me because I knew I have a very strong opinion. No, I wanted to ask. I wanted you to share your take. That's why I'm like, this is going to be good. This yeah. is what like people need to hear this. This is good stuff. To me, it's a non-story. And think about this poor 24-year-old kid who just learned, I will never be honest in, the, in my answers to the media again, which to be fair, is a good lesson to learn. You don't want to be honest to the media, but it just sucks that they can't be. And he's learned that. He's never going to give an answer, a straight answer ever again. Yeah, and if you're, if you're a reporter and you complain of like, oh, yeah, well, that guy doesn't talk. He sucks. I don't want to talk to that. Or that guy doesn't give any, any information. He gives me no quotes. It's like, well, this is why. Yeah. So. In fact, let me paraphrase George Kirby's answer a little different way that perhaps would have come off a little better. Hey, we have a really good bullpen. Perhaps we could have put one of them in there right then instead. Mario <laughs> should uh, work in the PR department for the Mariners. Yeah, but I'm thinking of George Kirby's thought process. Yes. The Mariners bullpen yeah. is traditionally why we win games. So that that's maybe a, perhaps a little more diplomatic way of saying it. Yeah, you know, we have a good bullpen. I, in that instance, I thought perhaps they would have been better effective or something like that. So, Well, and one more thing on this topic is think about we all work jobs, okay? Mm-hmm. So... Um, we all do different things. We're all in different fields. And even as myself in journalism, so let's say I went on a radio program. I went on a local radio or a podcast and it didn't go like, I just did not have my best performance. The last thing that I would want is someone holding a microphone in my face and being like, Hey, 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 how do you feel after, after you did so poorly there? You know, like, yeah. You can't blame these guys for not wanting to talk about things. And in major league baseball, there is no requirement to speak to the media. And in, in the NFL, in their um, players, in their CBA, they have to talk to the media. It's a part of their job. It's not a part of their job in Major League Baseball. I mean, it, it's a part of their job, and in in, obviously it's a part of their job, but it's not a requirement to play that they have to give answers to questions. 
Yeah, and let me just say this. This might be a little inside baseball for people, but Jack and I have talked about this off the air, the subject, and like the way the media has to report a story like that is, okay, if you're writing up a story and you put it on the internet, you're saying, you know, Mariners lose four to three, George Kirby gives up two runs in the sixth or whatever. If that's your story, you'll get, what, 100, 200 clicks? If your story is, oh my God, you won't believe what George Kirby said after the game, you're going to get 10,000 clicks yeah. on that story. Right. So it's as much as I don't like the media and I blame them and yell at them, they're kind of in a no-win situation because the controversy is what the fans want to read. Yeah. So I could might as well just might as well blame the entire internet for this as much as the media. Cause like, this is what people want. They want the controversy. They want to be angry about stuff. They want to call him names. So it's, it's a well, very complex uh, issue. I'm just not happy with. Well, that's like, if you could look at the past week or two in terms of what just stuff like that. And Jay mm-hmm. could, uh, Jay seen probably seen some of this. So Aaron Rodgers ruptures the Achilles in the first game of the season. He's not going to play this year. And what's Too the bad. so sad? What's the next thing you see is Colin Kaepernick after seven years away from the NFL. Oh yeah, he would make a lot of sense for the Jets to pick up. That's a way that you're going to get a ton of page clicks. Like that's just how it is. But he, Colin Kaepernick's not playing for the Jets this year. No, it's it's yeah, and and to me that's dishonest because the NFL owners have made it very clear that no one is going to pick up Colin Kaepernick for any reason. And as the years go on, I don't know how much in shape he is and blah blah blah. But I mean, I was livid about it for the several years afterwards because I'm like, here is a serviceable quarterback that teams need, and no one's picking him up for clearly non-football related reasons, right? But like he's so far removed now you know what i mean like the ship has sailed he's clearly blacklisted by you know the nfl in some way so when people write articles like oh colin kaepernick would be a good pickup for the jets it's like come on (laughs) come on dude you know that's not happening (laughs) yeah that's the page clicks it's it's like oh my gosh here's a colin kaepernick story people are gonna read it or tim tebow story or whatever it is like that's just that's how it goes so all right, the NFL well, has more of a problem with that than baseball. In yes. the sense of because it's so violent and because people get injuries, you know, there's, you know, the, the next news cycle is always trying to talk up the backup. Like, ah, you know, Zach Wilson, <laughs> he was trash last year, but he like shook hands with Aaron Rodgers. So maybe he's better <laughs> at throwing the ball now. <laughs> so Seattle is tied for the final wild card spot with the Rangers. There's mm-hmm. a little under two weeks left. Um, what's their schedule looking like, Mario? Uh, every single game the rest of the season is against the AL West, which is good because we control our own destiny. We have two more games against Oakland, who are, I hate to jinx this, but are barely a major league team. So if we don't sweep <laughs> them, that's a huge blow. You you have to sweep Oakland at this time of year. It's ridiculous. Yeah, you have to. And then after that, we got 10 games, seven against Texas, three against Houston. So it will be a shootout. And this this is why, even though Seattle has slumped, we lost to the Rays, lost to the Mets, lost to the Dodgers. It, it's Even though it's demoralizing, it's not like soul-crushing. Because I know we have those 10 games at the end of the year against Houston and Texas. And those were always going to be the, the, the deciding games. It's, it's, when you play Texas, you're tied with them for the last wild-card spot. You play them seven times in the last 10 days. That's the big series. So that's our schedule. And really, it's uh, you have to win now at this point. Every game matters. The season kind of starts now. 
and we're going to see if they have it in them. It's uh, You hope they do. I don't know if they do. The players say they're not rattled, that they've been through playoffs before. They did it last year, but I don't know. They just don't have that eye of the tiger that you really want to see this team have. And a lot of it, I have to say this, Julio Rodriguez, as much as you know, he's the big star. He was the player of the month. He's the, you know going to be unbelievable in four, five, six, seven years when he hits his prime. He, <laughs> I cannot count the number of times he has struck out to end the game, to be honest, mm. <laughs> lately. Like, he seems to have a little too much energy in that moment. He doesn't, he doesn't really focus it well. And I've seen either, even other Mariners fans commenting on this. He'll come up in the ninth with two guys on, and they're like, all he has to do is hit it over to the right side and move him over. But he's up there trying to hit it 900 feet because he wants to hit the furthest home run in Major League history. So it's like it's, there's a couple little things that trouble me about this team. But at the same time, I'm not entirely pessimistic because we play the Rangers, and I know we're better than the Rangers, and I hate to jinx them, but we just are. Our pitching staff is so much better than theirs. So I am tentatively saying we're still going to make the playoffs. And if we do, we can be really dangerous because, as you and I have talked about, there's not really a dominant team in the AL this year. There's not like the Atlanta Braves sitting there. Like, yeah. I just saw an article yesterday by Jason Stark, I think, that said the Braves had the, the greatest offense in baseball history this year. Like, oh, that'd be tough to beat. <laughs> but there's not that one team in the AL. Like, Baltimore was it for a while. The Rays are there for a while. Um, Houston is always good, but they're they're down this year. They're not as strong as they have. So the AL is wide open for anyone to take. This is the one year Seattle. If they get in there, they could do some damage. But it's 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 so dicey, and it's I, I hate to get my hopes up because you don't want to get crushed. You know, it's really interesting because the division winner thing is going to make a huge difference in both. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you're looking at. Baltimore and Tampa, I mean, there's two and a half games separating them. So that's, I mean, that's maybe a lot of games over two weeks. It's mm-hmm. it's still close. And whoever wins that is going to have the number one seed. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Houston, Seattle, and Texas. Houston's up one and a half on Seattle and Texas. So whoever wins that division is going to get to skip the wild card series. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's huge. So... It's um it's really interesting because I honestly didn't realize how close these division races still were. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like Houston was starting to pull apart, but I guess they lost yesterday and Seattle won yesterday, and so well, um, Houston has stunk lately. Houston has yeah, really been bad. All three lost, of those teams have been bad lately. They lost a back to back series to the Royals and A's. So it's yeah, like, it was what? wide open. It was wide open for any one of those teams to run away with it last week, and nobody did. It was crazy. Yeah, and so that's going to make a big difference between, you know, how you can line up your pitching staff and potentially have to play some extra games or you get the the buy and it's going to be real interesting. So you've got four teams, you got two teams going for an AL East title, mm-hmm. three teams going for an AL West title, and then whichever teams do not win that division, then you're going to have four teams going for three American League wild card spots. That's... Yeah, I'll summarize it like this. Uh, the AL Central is going to make it the winner. It's uh, probably the Twins. What, the Twins, the twins yeah. have done it, yeah. Yeah, and then the Orioles and the Rays are both going to make it. So that's three of the six playoff teams. So you got four teams competing for the other three spots. you got the three AOS teams, Toronto, or, uh, Houston, Texas, and Seattle, and then Toronto. So those four, three of them will make it. And it's it's really interesting because I know Seattle, we own the tiebreaker over Toronto, but Toronto might be a little better than us. I think we're better than Texas, but they own the tiebreaker over us, at least as of right now. (laughs) 
I personally think we're better than the Astros, but we tend to choke against the Astros, at least up until this year. So it's really weird because I'm not entirely sure out of that four-team dance which three are going to make it. It's going to really go right down to the wire. It's also a similar situation to the NL where I think I'd rather have the number two seed than the the one seed because if you are the two seed, you're going to play the winner of Minnesota and whoever the worst wild card team is. Mm -hmm. I'd rather play that than either Baltimore or Tampa or Toronto or, you know. Yeah, it's no, I agree with you, but it's at the end of the day, there's not the one juggernaut team in no, the AAF. Yeah. So it's like it's not that big a disadvantage. And again, Minnesota could surprise everyone and just sweep through the playoffs. You have no idea because, again, there's not, there's not that one team you're scared of. Well, I, I would be very surprised if Minnesota did that. They haven't won a playoff series since 2002, I want to say. Well, as a Seattle Mariner fan, I cannot sit here and talk crap about another team's playoff success. <laughs> I will just say Minnesota is a fine city with many nice people. <laughs> never been to Minnesota. I don't know about you. I've never been to Minnesota. Oh, yeah, I've been to the Mall of America. That's uh, it's like oh, a nice. city. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, and then it's so yeah. To to your point, like in the National League, I think you've got those. It's like you've got Braves as kind of like tier one, and then tier two, Dodgers, Brewers, put them in the same tier. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I think there's a bit of a gap, especially between the Phillies and then the rest of the wildcard teams. Like mm-hmm. there, it's, but what, to your point about the American League, it, you know, it's probably Baltimore and Tampa would be kind of the tier one, and then everybody else is tier two. Yeah, and it's weird. Like, I think the Mariners are better than Baltimore. I don't think they're as good as Tampa, but the win-loss records don't show that. And again, but this is why I will be banging my head against the wall the entire rest of the season. This is the year you can make a run through the AL playoffs because there's not that one team that you're not yeah. going to get past. So this is our chance. And I know, I, I don't know if my Mariner fans understand that really. Like, this is the one chance you could make a lucky run through the playoffs, even if you're not the best team. So all you got to do is get in the playoffs. And I don't know. It's 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 very frustrating to talk about this team right now because I see when they lose, they lose the exact same way. And it's it's very frustrating to see you you can there's certain games you can just tell they're not going to score. It could be 0-0 in the 7th and I'm like we're not going to win this. We're not going to score today. And you you can just tell. Yeah, it's, that was like the, the the playoff game last year. Yeah, that was the thing. I'm like, okay, which which teenth inning are the Astros going to win this in? Because it's not going to be us. <laughs> and it was like that the other day against the Dodgers, the Clayton Kershaw game that went zero zero into the extra innings. I'm like, we're not going to win this. I just I've seen this game, and I've seen other Mariners fans say the same thing. I've seen this game before. I know how this ends. And that's the champion teams. Championship teams don't lose those games. And that's that's the frustrating thing about the Mariners. When they lose, it's always the same way. Jay, any thoughts on the AL? No. <laughs> All right. Not the, the best AL. color man in the league for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I don't, like Mario, you know, I, I don't really pay attention to the AL as much. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fun that the Yankees are good. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, we all win, really. And, and you know, I, I always hate that the Astros win games. So there's that. But... <laughs> You know, other than that, I mean, the AL does have a lot more parity than I think the National League does, and so it's it's interesting, right? And I, I mean, it's it's fun that Baltimore is good. It's fun that some of these, you know, that that Seattle's making a run again. It's fun that these teams that haven't been sort of on top now are, right? 
Yeah, it's. I, I, if I could paraphrase Jay's thoughts for a pro, for a second, he will not be. He's too wise to say it like this. But I imagine Jay's thought process is: which team is going to get slaughtered by the NL in the World Series? <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know, right? Like you know, yeah. crazier things has happened. Like I mean, my one my greatest baseball memory of all time is the '88 Dodgers beating the A's. And I know you've talked about the '88 Dodgers in your simulations. I get this fact, Mario. But like, nobody on God's green earth was like. That Dodgers team with a hurt Kirk Gibson is going to beat the Bash brothers and Dave Stewart and Bob Welch and Dennis Eckersley. Like, there's no way, right? And and they did. You know what I mean? And they did it in five. Like, you know, these things sort of happen, right? But it does seem like the AL is fighting for whoever is going to get killed by the Braves and maybe the Dodgers. See, <laughs> I knew you'd say it eventually. Yeah, that's, I mean, and I don't disagree with you. I think you're right. It's, it's really where, who has the honor of being the uh, sacrificial lambs to the Braves? Really? That's kind of how it goes. I hate to say it that way, but by the way, it, I'll say it like this. I respect the Braves very much. And if the Braves win the World Series, I'm not going to sit here and pout and be upset because they're a really good team. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, there's all that sort of stuff. But if if the AL pulls off an upset against the Braves, I will smile because that's fun, right? <laughs> if they pull off an upset against the Dodgers, I will smile less. So, you know, it's just it, because but they're my team, right? So I get that fact. And I know that the Dodgers are they're a they're a very well-known franchise and when you're a very well-known franchise, people who are not fans of that franchise tend to root against them, right? So, people that are not Dodgers fans are not outwardly going to root for the Dodgers. They're going to want the Dodgers to lose in the World Series, and it's it's fun to be the evil empire, I guess, in that sense. But, like, they're my team. I got to ride with them, you know? Right. And, I mean, looking back on the last few years, 1920 and 21, those three years, National League team won it. And I remember coming into the year, especially 19 and 20, everybody's like, oh, the AL is so much better. Somebody from the AL is going to win. Um, in 21, in the case of the Braves... That team won like barely. I don't think they even won ninety games that year. They just yeah. kind of man it. They caught fire at the end of the year. I mean, they were a better team that their record showed. They were injured, um, but that was a big upset for them to beat the Astros and the Nationals beating the Astros in nineteen. That was a big upset. So I don't know. I I, I think it could really go either way. I, I know that you're trying playing. to get us off, Jack, but you're with Survivor historians and we don't know how to do short podcasts. So let me <laughs> ask you this: <laughs> Who's the NL MVP? Cody Bellinger. Just kidding. <laughs> you stunned me into silence. <laughs> no, I actually, um, he's not going to finish. And, and honestly, if he had, if he had kept up his pace up until, like I mentioned, his last 30 games, he's really tailed off. I think there would have been a pretty good case there considering how much, if you want to look at the term valuable, I mean, they're like 13 games better or they're like 16 games better with him than without him. Uh, and that lineup really does not have much else without him. However, he has tailed off. I'm not saying that. Um, so you got four guys from two teams. You've got Acuna, Freeman, uh, Betts, and Olsen. I, I wouldn't go Olsen. I think I'd go Acuna. I mean, Acuna is having a historically great season. He'd be yeah. a tough one to vote against. I wouldn't be upset if Acuna won the world the the MVP. I will make a case and say my MVP is Mookie Betts. All right, solid go ahead. pick too. Yeah, solid because pick. you know the the numbers are similar. He doesn't have as many stolen bases as Acuna, but like yeah. the hitting is very very similar. You can split that 
with a knife, and then the fact that Mookie Betts plays eight positions. That's true. That's a good point. So I, if you're going to bring up that word, Jack, valuable. Right. Yes. Like, Acuna's a right fielder. Cool. Mookie Betts <laughs> is a right fielder and a second baseman and a shortstop and a left fielder. And he just does everything. Like, he has been... The Dodgers have been, like, a, a triage unit all year with people in and out of the lineup. And, like, Mookie has literally just... Like, they have Chris Taylor and, like, all these, like, utility men who are pretty good. But, like, Mookie's basically like, I want to play infield. And they were like... yeah. Okay, but you won't be great. No, he will be great. He'll be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I haven't fully made up my mind. I typically like to wait until like the season. You get to that final weekend, and I really start to compare stuff and evaluate stuff. So I could be swayed in any direction, and I, I do agree with you. Like I don't think it should be a foregone conclusion that Acuna, it's not like his, I mean, t- Betts' OPS is better than Acuna's. Um, the power, he has more home runs. He has more RBI. I know we were kind of talking about RBI earlier, maybe not being the statistic it used to be, but I still like to look at RBI. The OBP is pretty similar. The slug is a, I mean, Mookie's slug is better. Um, RBI, were you a big Juan Gonzalez fan back in the day? (laughs) (laughs) I actually do like RBI. Yeah. I, um, Juan Gonzalez is a good player. Give me some Juan gone. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, I, I do think there's a case there. And to your point, it's really just the, the stolen bases is what I think. But you could also, then it's something else I'd like to quantify when the season's over is how many times we, what was his stolen base percentage? And he's been well, caught. Yeah. It's not just stolen base percentage, but also like stolen bases kind of, you know, I they're easier to them. get now. They're too. easier to get now, right? Like they're super they're super easy now with all of the rules happening, yeah. right? And like, you know, Acuna's stolen a bunch, and that's nice. But like, also, why are you stealing bases, Ronald Acuna? You're on the Braves. Like, <laughs> they're gonna hit you in, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, and the the sixty six this year, it doesn't quite mean the same as it would have three years ago. I feel like I feel like there should be like in the Dodgers and the Braves especially. I feel like in their dugouts they should just have like you know like a swear jar, but instead of a swear jar, it's like a it's like a dumb base running jar where like if you do something like that, it's like, dude, we're the Braves, we're the Dodgers, like we'll probably get hit in. Like, don't do anything dumb out there. Yeah, you're in scoring position on first base. Remember that. Well, Mr. Historians, is there are there any other detours that you'd like to lead us down before we say goodbye for now? Uh, got anything else? I'm no. I'm up for it. We'll let you off the hook, Jack. <laughs> I, I, got, I I just one more thing I want to follow up on. And I mentioned earlier, if the Mariners make the playoffs this year, it will be because of Brian Wu. I think he's the guy that's really the key, and I don't think that he gets a lot of attention, but I think he should. People should pay pay attention to this guy. So, if we make it, I think he is the reason why. That's my prediction. What time is the game? Oh, yeah, they're on late tonight, 8.40 Central Time. Well, they play Oakland, and there's, yep. like, no fans there, so they just start whenever the fans can show up. <laughs> it's like it's on your ticket. Like, when when would you like the game to start? And you check a little box, and if you get there at 9, they start at 9. So, yeah, we, That's a good one. Please, yeah, thank Please and I guess, let us... Go ahead. And I guess I will continue and say that if the Dodgers make a deep run, if they beat the Braves somehow and go to the World Series, it's because of rookie arms that will have to step up, meaning Bobby Miller 
and perhaps even Pepio or Sheehan or one of these people in the back end doing amazing things with either a short start or a bullpen stint. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that. I mean, it's kind of like the roles have been reversed between the Braves and the Dodgers from two years ago. I mean, two years ago, I remember being on this podcast, Albert Destrade, huge Braves fan, uh, Albert from Survivor South Pacific. And he says he, he, he did not have much confidence in the Braves going into that series against the Dodgers and the Dodgers had beat them. They had not beaten the Dodgers before in the playoffs, the Dodgers had a superior team, especially in the regular season. Um, Braves had a relatively young pitching staff. I mean, the, it, it kind of feels a little bit of like what the the roles have been reversed in terms of what what kind of matchup that's going to look like this year. In terms of you know, the Braves are now the the heavy not I don't want to say heavyweight. They're both heavyweights, but they're the they're the favorite. They're the hunted. The Dodgers are the hunters. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as much as as much as I you know I love the boys in blue and I get that fact. Like the Braves, the Braves are the team to beat. But that that can be a very good thing too. Like that that can be a good thing for a team. And no pressure. Yeah, yeah, it takes true. off some pressure. You've got a young team. Last year, I mean, I I, I is there anything to the fact that they won a hundred ten plus games last year, a hundred twelve games, and. They failed, and now you're kind of like, okay, you know what? That wasn't the end of the world. We can we can bounce back from that. Well, I think that there's again, it's it goes back to the rest versus not rest versus this. But like when you're chasing, you know, they weren't chasing necessarily. I mean, you know, they weren't going to reach 116 or whatever that the Mariners did, right? But they they were gonna they had a chance to maybe hit 110 or or you know some really 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 astronomically high win total, right? And so I think that there's a sense that you know you're not just playing hard, but you're tr- you're playing to win these games, and you're stretching yourselves out. Whereas maybe you could have let off the gas a little bit and rested yeah. somebody, or you know strategically, you know maybe not rested, but strategically did some rotating of people so that people were more fresh. But I think they were actively trying to win those regular season games, and I think it hurt them in the postseason because they. They they were run a little ragged, and they also weren't on a hot streak. They were just trying to like mm-hmm. keep up pace. And it's like I don't think you win World Series by just keeping up pace. You have to make a run somehow. I mean, that's exactly what happened to the Mariners in two thousand one. Yeah, they just weren't yeah. hot when the playoffs hit. They were hot the rest of the year, and all of a sudden they get to the end of the year and they'd clinched a month before, and they weren't. There was like no pressure for them to get hot all of a sudden. So yeah, I I think it's a detriment when you win that many games and you clinch early. It's because you're not peaking at the right time. Yeah, that happened with the White Sox two years ago too. I mean, they they ran away with that division just because the division wasn't good, and yeah. that that division race was pretty much over in August. And then they didn't play a meaningful series from the Field of Dreams s- series that game, that series against the Yankees, to the rest of the year. And I mean, now we know what we know about the White Sox, and they've entirely just fallen off. They might lose a hundred this year, but that year they had a good team. And there was something to that, that they were not playing meaningful baseball for two months. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, okay, now you got to get up for this playoff series. And it's like, what? Yep. No, totally. I've seen it. <laughs> Jay's seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it. We've all seen this. <laughs> we all see it. Those uh, progressive commercials. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I do love quoting commercials. <laughs> <laughs> We all see it. Okay, so they're the survivor historians. Uh, fellas, 
What should be on, we be on the lookout in terms of uh, content or other projects that you'd like to plug and promote? I know Jay's got a lot of stuff he's working on. That he's he's releasing pretty soon. <laughs> you're 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 kidding, right? <laughs> the, crickets, the cricket sound effect goes right here, right? <laughs> I've just been doing a lot of acting in my local community, so you know if you're in the Grand Rapids area, you can see shows that perhaps I'm in, but. As far as uh, internet content goes, that's more Mario's gig. But I, <laughs> I can't, I can't promise or guarantee anything because I don't. The Survivor Historians podcasts so infrequently that to say, oh, something's coming out soon or this that, like you know, I don't want to, want to raise alarm bells. But what I will say is, is we're in negotiations to get something done. So that's a step. <laughs> and I, I, maybe, Jay, maybe we'll Jay get will- to work. Yeah, I was gonna say Jay won't say this, but let me point this out to people who have followed us for years. Is that Jay just recently started a second career? He's been a teacher for years, where he started in theater. So when he's talking about acting and singing, you've only been doing this for what five, six years, something at this point. Uh, in the community since twenty fourteen. Okay. So like nine years, but still, yeah, like it's it's something that I did as a youth, you know, and studied, but and and trained, but not really going out and practicing. And it's something that I've gone back to because. It was something that I missed and I loved, and and my students actually were like, "Hey, why aren't you doing it?" And I was like, "That's a really good question." So I started <laughs> to apply myself, and uh, it's a great theater community here in uh, in Grand Rapids, and and I I love the people and I love doing shows here, and um, it's it's just been very fulfilling. Yeah, I just wanted to sell you because I know you're not going to do it. That a lot of people say, "Hey, why why don't you guys do historians anymore? Why don't you guys you know do your podcast?" I'm like. Well, because a lot of us have picked up, you know, hobbies and second careers over the past 12 years. Like, right. we don't just yeah. sit here and do Survivor podcasts anymore. Jay has an amazing acting career. And I know you just recently said you just did your first musical where you had to sing, where you said you never had sung on a stage ever. And all of a sudden now you're singing for a paid audience. So yeah. Jay's doing some really cool stuff that he's not going to tell you about. But I'll say it. That's one of the reasons why Historians is kind of it's iffy these days because we've all picked up other hobbies along the way and it's a very old podcast it's yeah it's not the type of thing we can devote time to it's not a falling out or anything the four of us that do the podcast still very much like each other uh or or we tolerate each other as 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 (laughs) as much as we always have and that's how it goes but like the thing is, is that we're getting older and it's not that we're losing interest it's just that two things are happening one all of us are getting busier as we get on with our life like mike's got way more media responsibilities that he does you know and paul was a college student you know and now he's an adult with a teaching job and you know life and you know things to do right and you know i'm doing my stuff and mario is just like perpetually always busy so it's like you know we we we'd love to do it but our schedules just never can align because when when two of us are ready the other two aren't or three then one isn't and it's like i've been guilty of it at times but then there are times where paul's been guilty or mike's been guilty or you know mm-hmm. it's just what it is and what we one rule that we said to each other in historians was was that we were never going to make this a pressure-packed situation to 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 tape and record mm-hmm. you know especially now that we're like on season 20 whatever right like we're past the history point for the most part now so like now yeah. we're just doing it for fun so at this point it's kind of like do our schedules align let's do a podcast do they not we'll wait and i think that that's it's it's frustrating for for fans and i understand that fact and 
on that level i do apologize but it's something that we have no said apologies to each other. needed i don't think it's something that we've said to each other for a long time and we that's how we wanted our podcast to be and mm-hmm. we are executing the podcast how we like it and yeah we haven't done any i think this is one of the biggest gaps we've ever had but it's like we're not done we're just we're just not recording at the moment but we will we still like each other we still talk to each other it's 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 not like there there's no like drama behind the scenes it just is yeah just isn't recording right now i will say i think we're the only podcast in history that has never had one minute of drama ever and that's right oh <laughs> that's yeah that's one of the reasons we don't like we don't have ads we don't have sponsors we don't have a patron group we don't crank out things on a weekly basis to please our audience and i feel bad that we can't do that but that's just not the way we do business and as the person who kind of schedules it, I kind of get people together and kind of push for a new episode. I just have a thing. And this is, I mean, this will, I will take a hundred percent responsibility for this, but this is not, it's not going to change. I will not do a podcast without all four of us because I'm very loyal and because we're a team and because it's just not right. We are a group. If all four of us are not there and not free, then to hell with it. I'm not, I don't care if we go a year and a half between podcasts. That's just yeah. the way it's going to be. So I don't want to do I, it without the three of them. Like I yeah, really exactly. don't. Yeah. So I will take full blame if people don't like the way we do it, but that's the way we've been doing it for 12 years. What happens is a lot of new fans discover the show and catch up and they're like, why did you stop? And I'm like, no, you just caught up to where we are. <laughs> this is how we've always done it. But that's the perception that people think, oh, you guys just stopped. And like, no, that we've always done it like this. You just haven't noticed. I will say there's one behind the scenes thing and I'm going to, I'm going to let a little dirty laundry out again. There's no drama. Nothing's drama, but there was a time. And I think it was because Paul was like going to go to Germany or something like that. There, there was some mm-hmm. sort of like thing we recorded. And I think it was like around Pearl islands, right? We recorded several episodes literally in a row like like several days in a row we got together and recorded like three or four episodes literally in like three or four days right and the plan was was to release one and then wait another couple months and then release another you know because people were going to be gone and all that sort of thing and mario was like yeah 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 that's what we'll do and then like literally five days after the one mario releases the second one says i just wanted to release it <laughs> yeah, I am not. I am very spontaneous. I do not plan things out. My wife will tell you that drives her crazy. I have no attention span, so I, I take blame for that. That's and again, n- none of us were mad. It's not like we were like, "Oh, dude, we had a plan." Blah blah blah. But it's like that was the idea for that batch recording was to like meet it out over time so that everyone just thought, you know, oh, the historians they're just going like normal, and then Mario like released all four basically at once. <laughs> Was Which that was, heroes versus villains? I don't know, man. But it it was fine. It but was, then at yeah. the same time, people were like, "Oh, we'll see. You guys are capable of doing the, this." <laughs> one. We're like, "Ah, oh, see, no." <laughs> yeah, we got your hopes up. Okay, here's one of my favorite little trivia bits. A lot of people don't know about is that in Samoa, we were we had a three part podcast. It was like three hours, three hours, three hours. But as we were going, I realized, oh, this is going to be a four parter. So I'm like, okay, we recorded a three hour podcast. And then we're like, next week we'll come back to it and we'll add a transition and we'll change this from a three-part to a four-part. But when we started the next one, I forgot to do a transition. I just started talking as if we were still going from the last episode. And then afterwards, I'm like, oh, screw it. It's going to be too much work. So now it became a five-hour episode. So we have a five-hour episode <laughs> for no reason in the middle of Samoa just because I completely forgot we were supposed to be a transition. Yeah, and we did somewhere. it in two parts. I remember yeah. that now. Yeah, it sounds like a five-hour podcast, but that was recorded over two different days, like two weeks apart or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were not a professional podcast. Oh, we God, don't pretend no. to be. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, another oh, we one like- I... 
Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but we do like each other very much, despite Jay and I bickering all the time. I just think we have a fun dynamic. And oh, I will say this. Yeah. I, I don't want to go make everyone say, ah, but there's no one I'd ever rather podcast with more than Jay Fisher. He's my favorite podcaster. Oh, get bent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you know what I think is another one that's funny? I know you guys were just talking about, like, when you get people asking stuff. One thing I think is funny was <laughs> I remember when Winners at War came out. And I remember mm-hmm. someone posting. It was maybe I don't. Reddit. Okay. Someone someone wanted, and maybe more than one person, wanted the historians to do a weekly podcast covering Winners at War. It was like, okay, do they do they know these guys at all? Like <laughs> Yeah, I to this day I still get emails all the time just people saying, Hey, why don't you keep the living in the past, old man? Like a lot of young Survivor fans don't like us because of that reason. <laughs> And it's getting only more so. They're like, why don't you guys live in the present? You just sit in the past. You have no acceptance of the present. I'm like, but it's a historical podcast. We're talking about the past. Of course we do. (laughs) Well, also, just also, it's like, that is not what the historians are. Like, why on earth would you guys cover like a new, like on every single week, you guys are going to go live after the episode and just say, oh, yeah, you know, Boston Rob, he blew it again. He was voted off again. Like, oh, okay, yeah. That reminds me of the time that he was voted off in Marquesas. Like, <laughs> I just laugh at the idea of us doing a weekly current podcast. Yeah, But, good but in a him. way, like, that's the whole thing, right? It was like, I was, like, me and Paul, we were on the Tribe of Survivor podcast that did, like, recaps for a week like i wasn't a longtime member of that show but i came on at some point and you know helped out and whatnot but like you know you know how it is jack like it's with the things in the media like people have things covered you know right and i think that you know like kids grow up and they're like i'm gonna be a youtube star and do minecraft and it's like dude that's there's a million people doing minecraft on youtube and stuff like that like yeah what sets you apart and stuff like that and it's like we were very fortunate where we started our podcast at a time where not a lot of other podcasts were going on and we created a we we found a nice chemistry with each other and you know i think that part of our 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 podcast is the fact that it is rather unprofessional it's just three guys kind of shooting off the cuff for many hours at a time <laughs> on old episodes of survivor <laughs> making horrific jokes and just <laughs> laughing about them and we put po- you know we post like what four or five times a year if we're lucky and it's like that's who we are and it's like yeah we could change you know we could all sit down and say oh let's make a more strict schedule and let's you know like have the episodes formulated and you know all these sort of things but it's like then that's not who we are mm-hmm. and I think, you know, as Mario said, we've said it several times and we're not trying to cover anything up. We are super drama free and we love each other for all of these reasons. And I think the reason is, is because the podcast is how it is. And so if we changed it in any way, you know, it wouldn't. Oh, my God. Now. okay, you want to talk about commercials, Jack? Okay, I'm going to take you down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Back in the 80s, in the 80s, my dude, there were these commercials for the GTE everything pages. Where, you know, they were yellow pages. It was ads for yellow pages, which is hilarious in the day of the internet, right? (laughs) But the whole point was was that the GTE wanted you to get the GTE everything pages because their yellow pages were more comprehensive than other yellow pages, I guess, right? So their ads were basically where they would go to some fictitious 
store of some sort that wasn't in the GTE everything pages. And they're like, why aren't you, right? And the one I always remember was there was a guy and he had a store and it was called Arnold's Rug. And they were like, <laughs> we're here at Arnold's Rug. Why are you not in the GTE everything pages? And he goes, well, as you can see, the name is Arnold's Rug. And then the next shot, smash cut to inside the store. And there's just one rug on the ground. <laughs> and he's just like, this is my rug. It's a good rug. If I advertised in the GTE everything pages, people would come in and look at my rug. Maybe someone would buy my rug. <laughs> then there would be no more Arnold's rug. <laughs> and that's that's the Survivor history. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the kind of topical humor we cover on Survivor Historians. Commercials from the mid-80s. Jack asked for it, and I delivered. So don't even with me. You guys, both you guys brought your fastball today. And that's what, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, I'm starting to get people ask, hey, I want, should I do a podcast? What should I do? Or how can I do this? And I say, you know... Especially in sports, it's like, how is your show going to be different from the thousands and hundreds of thousands of sports shows? Like, how many how many shows do we need breaking down, like, who's going to play quarterback now that Aaron Rodgers is out? And I think that we've been able to build something a little different with well, this I, I podcast. I heard earlier that it was Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but hey, we've got the podcast here. It talks a little bit of SpongeBob, a little bit of Survivor, a little bit of baseball. I mean, when you have Patchy the Pirate on your podcast, you know it's going to be quality. Oh, heck yeah. Are you ready, kids? Aye, <laughs> <laughs> aye, Captain. Aw, oh, you did it, and that warms my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from that era. Mario couldn't. No. <laughs> so, all right, well, Survivor Historians, you guys should check it out. Um, check out their old stuff. Their old stuff's great. Yeah, actually, uh, okay. Can I plug one thing and it, this ties yes. into historians? It'll make no, it, I'll, yeah. I'll make Mario, it you have like six things to plug and I will yeah. turn it over to you. Go ahead. I apologize, Jay. You can clock out now. You're done. All right. But, see you guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I made it easy because I'm, I'm so tired of plugging stuff because I have so many things that I put them all on one web page now. So if you go to funny115.com, I have a link to every single project I have ever worked on including one called Survivor Breaking News. I just posted the other day, really funny page yeah, of all these good. Survivor memes. It's got a link to historians. It's got a link to my movie podcast staff picks. Just go to funny115.com. I just reformatted it so it finally looks good on phones. For years, it was an old <laughs> website. It was 2023. I finally updated it. You can look at it on a phone. But it has everything <laughs> I have ever done, including the podcast that Jay and I do, Survivor Historians. <laughs> oh, 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 hey. Are you done? <laughs> See, this is where I would, I would throw out a joke to Paul because we have to break up the sexual tension between me and Jay a little bit. <laughs> Paul's not here, so I can't go for the easy Montana joke to divert. What would Paul have said today if he was here? Ew, sports. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? That's exactly what he would say. Yes, I love the sports. <laughs> Especially the baseball. <laughs> Which sport is it where the old women fall down the most? Is that high lie or lacrosse? <laughs> Sorry, Paul. Oh, he's uh, not listening. Yeah, there's no way. They don't even would, have the internet in his little village. <laughs> I don't think he's listened to a sports podcast before. You have to have him on. Have him on with me sometime and we'll just double team him. <laughs> Wait, what? Sorry, let me rephrase that. The family podcast, but yeah, no, Paul would be fan. He would be a fantastic guest to talk about the latest NFL news. 
<laughs> and on that note, they're the Survivor Historians. Jay, Mario, thanks for coming on today. This is great. Uh, we'll hopefully check in in a few months, and we'll be talking about Shohei Otani playing in neither of your teams' jerseys. Exactly. No, we're going to talk about the Mariners-Dodgers World Series. That's when you're going to have a Okay. Back. Yeah, and, and I've said this on record, and I will say it again. Like, if the Dodgers and Mariners go to the World Series and face each other, like, clearly I'm going to be rooting for the Dodgers, right? But if the Mariners win that World Series, I won't even be mad. And wow. to reciprocate that, if the Mariners play the Dodgers in the World Series, I will say F the Dodgers and the Mariners <laughs> better win because I effing hate the Dodgers. Yeah. And I think that I think that's fair. Like that's fair, but like the Mariners are so beleaguered. Like winning a World Series would be fantastic. Yeah. Could you give us this one win, please? Yeah, right? Just let me have this before I die. We have many. <laughs> See, Jay has the proper attitude. As long as I get my one, I, I will never talk ill of another team again, except maybe the Yankees, but that's it. But I promise. <laughs> All right. You guys can check you guys can check out the listen to Survivor Historians and listen to them back on this show a month from now when these teams are playing the World Series. How about that? Thanks, guys. Absolutely. I'll have to watch some SpongeBob. Hey. <laughs> All right, y'all, that concludes today's conversation with Mario Lanza and Jay Fisher, the Survivor Historians. Great time talking with them. Hopefully you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please hit subscribe to The Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. Please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can follow me at Jack Vita Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll be back again next week talking baseball, talking sports, having a good time. Until then, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dance to the lobsters. <laughs>